0: this is a problem about games like when your protagonist is in charge of fixing everything then every problem in a game can be fixed by you yeah and when when the theme of your game is racism yeah. structural oppression you know sexism it went when when the theme of your game is something structural the idea that you can fix it doesn't exist yeah. you can't
1: Hi everybody, this is Soren Johnson and you're listening to Designer Notes, a podcast about why we make games. Today we are talking to writer and designer Meg Jayanth, best known for her work on 80 Days. Okay, so yeah, so tell me your memory, your first, when did you first remember video games being a part of your life?
0: Uh, I remember them, I remember them from when I was, I was really young, but I think if I had to pick one video game or a couple of videos. It was probably SimCity 2000 and SimTower. And my, my abiding memory, and maybe this is because I kept losing to my dad, who I would play it with, was um my da- to your dad well because you, you know we, we would pl- we would play the game we'd play some tower and then there's like the the victory state where a choir of angels comes down okay. of your of your block and like you know sings you sings your praises really? and i never yeah and i never ever got to that stage right and i only ever saw it when my dad played and i remember like that being like my first like okay I really need to make that happen and I never did all of my apartments were filled with roaches far too often (laughs) but um but yeah so it's like I think games like that like
1: um what did you I mean what did you like about (sighs) hmm?
0: I mean I think I think I there is something about it that is that there is I think that a, a a lot of the games that I love are not games that are incredibly twitchy or requiring, like, mechanical skill or dexterity. And they were really about kind of puzzle solving. And I think that that remains something that that I really love. And actually, if I think back to Sim Tower, it probably, there was, there was more of a timed element to that, right? Because you you did have to, like, find a kind of rhythm. But it, it's a bit more like the rhythm of, of like, playing um you know, like an RPG
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, or or an MMO, right? You know, which which I find a, a lot more natural to the way that I think, right. um, rather than kind of like split second reactions or trying to shoot something. Um, so, it, it, you know, and I think it was it was that that all of those games. It wasn't about doing the same level over every time you played it. It was a it was a slightly different experience and it was a slightly different challenge. Because for me, it was never really, despite having said that. What so how I, does?
1: I'm just curious. Like, yeah. how did that? Because in Sim Tower, I kind of imagine like once you start building the tower, the tower is going to basically gonna be the same. Like, right. No, that... but
0: like the, you know, the tr- the the smaller choices you make and the variations, like you know, like you know. It's you don't I, and I was never the sort of person and I think maybe I would have been better at SimTower had I been the sort of person who painstakingly recreated what I did to the certain point right. and then changed something small and and that was that was never really what I did I I kind of like burn everything down and just start something entirely new right um, you know like I I, I never really a, a, a really good friend of mine like a really good friend of mine got me to try and play Dark Souls mm-hmm. and it I it could not be. I, I see the appeal of it, right. but it encapsulates everything that I'm uninterested in, in <laughs> okay. games. I guess because to me it's this idea of like, well if I know what I need to do, um I don't I don't really enjoy mastery for mastery's sake like i see my partner replay the same like medal of honor level over and over again and like that that has no interest for me and even the familiarity of it it doesn't feel soothing whereas like a game of of like civilization or game or like a strategy game or like sim city um and i played a lot of like the theme theme games as well like theme hospital theme park Mm -hmm. um I have to admit that a lot of them were probably like um, pirated versions sure. that I bought. Because this is, you know, I was playing a lot of these in Bangalore oh, in really? India. Okay. Where they weren't really available. So, you know. You, where would you get them? Uh, you would get them at the same place that you got pirated, yeah. like CDs Movies and stuff. And, yeah. and, and all of that stuff. So it was basically like a random selection of, yeah. of, of stuff. And, you know, you played what you could get. And then you tried to find, you know, you tried to go back to that same person and be like, right, do you have the sequels in this? Like, right, right, right. you know, so I wasn't really part of the the games community in that way and it was you know were so, you
1: essentially picking random games based off of their name or like were you, did you have any awareness of like the game
0: yeah world? i th- I think at that time like because this would have been when i was pretty young so like maybe six or seven mm-hmm. probably before i even had a, a, a super nintendo right um yeah and it was like what was available and then what struck you but do you know what now that i think about it probably my first gaming experience was really like magic school bus which we got, like, because, you know, it was an educational thing that my parents got me with, with our first laptop. And, like, Flight Simulator, because, like, That's Microsoft right. Flight Simulator used to come yeah. with, P- with, like, PCs at that time. And, you know, and there was, like, this enormous <laughs> manual <laughs> that I ignored mostly, and I would crash planes all the time. And, like, oh, God, thing called, like, is it Redshift? Which is, like, it, it was a, I don't, I think it was, like, an educational tool rather than a game Mm-hmm. And I think it was just, I don't know, like maybe I have a false memory of this, but I think it was about like how cal- you could calculate like astronomical, like it was, it was like about astronomy basically. Oh yeah, that's
1: a term from, yeah. I, I only vaguely understand. Right. I'm not going to pretend like I understand it. <laughs> anyway, go ahead.
0: Yeah. Like I wish, I wish I'd learned more about, about uh, astronomy right. at that point. But no, so it was like, I think a lot of it was like super educational and then, and then there was the fun stuff like, like Tower that we played, that I played, like me and my dad played. Yeah. And then all of those, like classic, like Aladdin for the SNES, which sure. remains a classic game. And my dad would play the, the magic carpet level for me, like mm-hmm. both of them, because there was the lava one.
1: So that was a pretty hard game. It was it?
0: exactly, it was really hard. And, and I remember, like, and that I think that remains like a design principle for me, because I remember being like a seven year old kid and being like, this is actually too hard for me to play. And I am clearly the audience for this. Right. And, and it never felt. Um, and I, I really distinctly felt like the game had had failed me, rather than I had failed the game. Yeah, yeah there's
1: there because there's a Lion King game too, right? Yeah, that, era that was like basically the same people, and like yeah. it seems like a horrible mismatch <laughs> between like the, <laughs> the the way they designed the game and like the audience for it. The
0: audience like, for it, right? Like, and some of them were like amazing levels, but then you got to that there was a level where. Um, you know, suddenly it became like a side scroller and, and, and like you were trying to dodge lava. And that was terrifying to, to seven year old me. But, sim- but weirdly enough, like
1: just thematically?
0: Yeah, just, you know, and, and just that the, the price of failure was so terrible. And yeah. like there was this little noise that Aladdin would make when he was like burned to a cinder in lava <laughs> right. that, that struck, sure, that stuck yeah, with me. Yeah. But, but weirdly enough, it was also equally stressed out by the, just the, you know, the whole new world level, Mm -hmm. which I still hate that song. It's it's,
1: (laughs) It's in my head right now. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Freaking hate that song because... Um, again, it was one of the first times that you were, like, navigating, like, you you were going, like, up and down, as well as, like, side to side, and, like, mm. and the the carpet seemed to, like, swerve, and it just felt like, wait, how, you know, it was just a, a new mechanic that was sprung on me. Yeah, 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 and And for some reason, the fact that it was associated with the with the lava level just meant that I was, like, no. Nope. Yeah, 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 yeah. I hated the magic carpet so much. <laughs> wow. Yeah. All
1: right. So you kind of, you kind of learned that you're, you're really not interested in games that have some sort of, like some sort of like skill barrier like something that's yeah, going to like
0: block you know you. but i think i think um you know there's there's skill barriers i think that i'm interested in like so you know like i play i play a lot of rpgs like yeah. i play the dragon age games okay. and I play, you know so and i learned how to do like melee combat and archery and all of all of the stuff that i needed to do but because i wanted the story yeah. and because that appealed to me but yeah, I think mastery for mastery's sake doesn't doesn't really appeal. Right. Um. And I kind of need like you know, and it's not like the combat in Dragon Age is beautiful. It's sure. Like it, you know, it's it's something that you're doing to get through it, and I can I can get good enough at it, but I I never felt that like competitive urge, I guess, to like you know prove that I was better than someone else at something. It just you know it was, I think there was a, the barrier was always like my enjoyment of it.
1: Right. Okay. Well, what was the thing that like? If you sum up, what was the thing that you enjoyed most out of games? Like when you were a kid?
0: Wow, that's that's really hot that's a tough one. Like and I well, I think probably I, I loved like it was something that i did with my dad and i you know when i went to when i went to india as well we took my super nintendo mm-hmm. and i distinctly remember that i was the only kid that had one and okay. so all of my friends would come over to our popular. house yeah. and like we would play these games and and it was never about being good and and obviously like and there were times where i you know i would i would have a skill advantage cuz i'd been playing it but then you know maybe you know maybe someone's just better at it but it was just about hanging out like we played so much street fighter 2 turbo mm-hmm. and like you know and and I honestly couldn't tell you about the game specifically. It's like the social context of playing them. And I played a lot of them by myself as well. And they were, you know, that was what he did. And he was like, get going into another world, right? Yep. So you, like, I loved reading books and I loved, you know, and, and like I told myself elaborate stories about the inhabitants of these sim towers. Right. And all of those mechanics were just, were kind of, I don't know, machines that that told you stories. And I started to, to care about them in some way. And, and I think that's one of the things that, that is still hard for games to do, right? To make sure. you care in yeah. a certain way.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, that's the tough thing as a designer. It's like ultimately, that's kind of like the number one goal. How do you get the people to care? Yeah. About what's going on.
0: Right. And I think I, I always, and for me, it was always I made up my own, I made up my own rule sets. Like I made up, I made up my own kind of victory conditions, and and it was really about getting what I wanted out of the game. And and I kind of, I kind of completely ignored what the game wanted like so one of my favorite games um was gta like the original top-down gta and i don't think i did a single one of like you know i must have played hundreds of hours of that game because at the there's a point in my life where that was probably the only game that we even ha- like that i had on on the pc
1: right
0: and i never did any of the main of the main missions i just wandered around the city like and that's mo- the
1: original like top-down yeah top-down like, very lo-fi yeah Amazing, game, right?
0: The, be- the best GTA game, right okay, <laughs> right, right? okay, like you know, probably because it, I think so because I played it as a kid, but but yeah, like I I spent so much time just wandering around stealing cars, mowing down Hare Krishnas in the street. <laughs> I hate them. Uh, I'm Indian, so you know, that's for all of those podcast <laughs> listeners, you know, please don't offer me a Bhagavad Gita in the street. I am not interested, so yeah, and you know, it's just. Just getting to, like, kind of... It's a really f- weird thing, I suppose, for someone who writes games right. <laughs> and who particularly am in- into authored story in a certain way. But I was completely uninterested in whatever story GTA wanted to tell, tell me. You. But I sure. was telling myself a bunch of stories, you know? And sure. and that was endless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah.
1: All right, cool. Well, it'd be interesting to hear. So how does this fit into the context of, like, the rest of your life? Like, you know, mm-hmm. you're playing your video games. Like, what other, um, you know... What other things were you into, like, you know, that, how did it, had, like, how much of your mind did they take up compared to, like, some of the other stuff you're into?
0: You and, know, I think it's a, there's, like, a, a huge continuum for me because I, like, I was always into writing, and I always okay. wrote, wrote my own stories, but I was always into, like, collaborative writing, and I wrote a lot of fanfic, okay. I wrote a lot of fanfic as a, as a teenager, like, once I got on the internet, and I put Fanfic
1: for what? <laughs> you gotta fess up. That's
0: what this is <laughs> I I wrote a lot of Harry Potter fanfic and right. I wrote a lot of I wrote some other I wrote some other fanfic but we won't get into it right. but um I also uh you know, but I wrote I wrote like weird Harry Potter fanfic that was really about like the structure of the wizarding world and its inequalities. You know, it wasn't really about people kissing. Like that right. I was like people kissing, that's boring. Like, no. you know, like, you know, what what is the political political history of Grindelwald? Like right. that was what I wanted to write. Nice. Nice.
1: Um and did you do that because you were really into Harry Potter, or because no. it was such a great platform yeah, to discuss Yeah, exactly. These and,
0: and to be honest with you, I still probably in my own head cannot recall. There are some things that I think about Harry Potter that I'm like, I don't know if that is that is actually in the books or whether that is was just the like fandom consensus. Right. So I, was, I guess I was always into worlds and like extending worlds. And as part of that, like I played a lot of play by email role playing games. Okay. Um, and I played a lot of games on forums, like on, on like Yahoo groups back okay. in the day. So
1: how did those things work? I bet there's a right. lot of, most people really have very little idea. Like okay. they maybe vaguely have heard about them.
0: But... Yeah. Uh, wow. Okay. So on, on like, uh, on like Yahoo groups or something like that. Um, so some of them are a bit more free form than others. Obviously there's like mm-hmm. a huge spectrum of those. But a lot of the ones I played were like run by people, right? Mm-hmm. And and who who volunteered their time and who spent a lot of time kind of organizing these communities and curating this content right. and you would apply and be a certain kind of character and you'd fill out okay. all of these character sheets and you'd read all of the documentation around this okay. and you know and and then you would have like a whole discussion and go back and forth and then you often had like a trial period as you entered. Because the they don't,
1: because they know people show up and then disappear, and
0: then disappear yeah. absolutely. Or you know, they actually want to see how you interact with other people, and you know whether whether you're capable of getting on with them socially or like writing against and and collaboratively with people. Yeah, and and then everyone kind of controls a character or a set of characters, and then you have you know like a kind of mix of of stories that you generate yourself by going out and seeking them out and seeking out other people or like posting us posting a stub of like, right. Like I was just hanging around by like the grain silo as the storm approached. Like not that you would ever write a storm approaching because that's a community event and you are not allowed to create those. And, okay. and like, and, and then it, and you know, and then you had like an the administrative le- layer who would often, uh, you know, create like community-wide events that you were all reacting to, but I think the common thread in a in a lot of these was that there was a a correlation between how whatever world you were in, if you were the protagonist or if you were like a protagonist-like character, if you were high up in the fictional world, it meant you were high up in the in the um, you know in in the actual running of the organization, in the
3: community, in the community
0: itself, right. which. I I always ended up like playing. Playing playing against. So I loved when when I got more involved in communities, I loved playing like low status characters okay. or characters who you were, were like, fighting the man yeah, inside or who, of. Right. Or who, <laughs> or who weren't likable. Or like, you know, because okay. the thing is, I guess it's that fanfic urge, right, to fill in the margins and the corners and the edges. And it's like, who wants to play like the queen or the leader? Right. I was so much more interested in like the weird story of like, okay, here's the scullery made and this is my adventure right. in this crazy world. Like, can, you, you can
1: you flesh this out with like an example that might stick in your mind? like uh like um, something you're doing something you created and it led to this interesting thing but so it
0: re- led to this interesting thing well okay so um so actually I you know I don't know if you're familiar with Anne McCaffrey's pun but they're mm-hmm. books about like spunky women who ride dragons yeah. and fight thread and it's a sci-fi world and it's great and so a lot of a lot of these communities were built around you know they they came out of a fan practice right so they were groups of fans so we weren't creating our own original worlds though I did that too um you know, you, you were kind of working within this world. So one of the things that happens is you you mind bond with dragons. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, every so often a dragon lays a bunch of these eggs and then and then you know, you are part of a, a cohort that is chosen to go and try and impress them. Like right. that's, you know, the word for it. And and they, they kind of sense something about your character or your personality and, and and they bond to you. And of course, like, the gold dragons are the highest order of dragons and then there's, like, the, you know, I don't know, the blue, the bronze ones. They all have, you know, and everyone wants to be, like, the gold dragon and the leader and 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 I remember, and most people tend to write characters that most people at that time were tending to write, like, really super nice characters and yep. really helpful and friendly ones because they wanted to be, like, show leadership potential. <laughs> okay. And so I decided to be, like, I'm going to write a character who has all of that leadership potential but is a horrible, manipulative, awful person. Okay. And and it was great. It was, like, the most fun I ever had because it, it suddenly opens up all of these dramatic Possibilities, and you know, and it was also a good lesson in that you can be mean in a game, and your character can be terrible and an awful person, but you don't—you, you're not terrible to interact with. You're sure. a, you can actually be really fun to interact yeah. with. Well,
1: it's probably useful in that community to have some antagonists or have some people who are stirring things up, right? I suppose, yeah. I, I don't know what you told me. N- no,
0: I, I, no, I think I think it really was, and it was really it was really funny because I went into it thinking, okay, I'm just gonna like not even. I, I want to not be part of this. Oh, everybody! Every every has has a girl character wants to like impress the gold dragon, and of course, like I ended up, the, you know, and and the com- and basically, it's like the community leaders decide who has what, who ends up with what, yeah. and 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 of course, like at the end of this, like it was a complete turnaround, and then like my character ended up like being being the you know bonding with this gold dragon and i was like god damn now i'm now i have to actually like you know how am i gonna work out actually being a leader and running this place like i was meant to be like the spoiler at the back i was planning to impress like the lowest form of dragon and be like a kind of jealous backbiting like manipulative figure like ruling from the shadows and i was like oh damn but But, how, yeah. how
1: old would you have been during this? I must have
0: been maybe twelve or thirteen oh, wow. That's or something. Young. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like like pretty pretty young. Did your
1: parents know that. you were involved in this type of community at
0: all? <laughs> <laughs> kind of uh, they knew they knew I they knew I wrote fanfic. Like okay. my mom read all of my fanfic, even okay. you know, because most of it was not like it, so it, it wasn't pretty
3: tame, smutty.
0: Then. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't it really wasn't smutty. It was really about whatever I was learning about in history. Yeah. Or whatever books I was reading and you know, it was really, really about exploring it was about exploring ideology right well
1: that sounds great actually uh, i mean generally speaking like you see a 12 year old express themselves creatively yeah on their own volition like mm-hmm. it's a great thing right like I it's mean, a really good sign
0: it's it was it's amazing and, and i think it, it it held me in good stead more than anything else like in terms of training you how to how to take feedback how to how to you know understand what is working about like something you wrote and what isn't and it really teaches you that lesson of, well, it doesn't really matter if, if you, if what is in your head, if that's not what is coming across. And it also kind of teaches you how to, how to get a thick skin about right. criticism and not be precious. But also I think another really important skill, which is to know what kind of criticism to absorb and to know what to deflect. Sure. Right. And, and I think that's a really hard lesson. Everyone has to like draw that line for themselves. Right. But, but, you know, like I, and I, I think it can be overwhelming, like when you become a new professional to know, you know, you either kind of completely close yourself off to criticism entirely and you're unable to take it at all because you, you feel really fragile and precious or you, you know, or you take it all on board and you kind of completely lose yourself. Mm-hmm. But in a way, kind of being in those fan spaces meant that that I, I had like so many years of training in doing that. Um, which I think it was probably the most, as much as it's like, you know, my parents probably would have I know not that my parents were ever judgmental about it, but, um, as much as it seems like, a you know, this waste of time, I think actually that's probably the the most useful s- skill in terms of what I professionally practice today. Sure.
1: No, I, that totally makes sense to me. I mean, I, yeah. I've never thought of it this way, but I could see like this really direct analogy between like fanfic to fiction is kinda of like modding is to like video game right. development. Right. Absolutely. And like I often push young designers to say, like, you know, if you really want to like do something that people care about and you're a feedback on, make a mod mm-hmm. because you're playing in a world where there's already people who are interested in. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. if you had gone out with like, hey world, I just wrote this brand new piece of fiction just
0: yeah.
1: out of whole cloth. Exactly. Right. You know, maybe would. someone would take an interest. But Absolutely. there's a pretty good chance that like you're going to get people to read it and tell you what they think if you put it in harry potter yeah, or in this role playing game it. or whatever right yeah
0: absolutely and and also like you know that's i think it's a that's how most people learn right you don't you don't learn by doing it whole cloth right at the start right. and it's you know it's so much easier to kind of focus your skills by like this, disassembling these blocks here when you've got the rest of the house built yeah right and and that kind of gives you the skills to then go in and do it for yourself but yeah. but yeah i think it's that is, I think you kind of hit it entirely upon the head. Finding that community of people that cares about something that you care about together—it's a ready-made audience. For yeah, you. yeah, excellent. You know, which is which is kind of amazing. Which is something that we all are still like search for. That's a right. perennial artist search, right? Yeah, and it's it's kind of incredible to be able to do that at a, at a young age. Um, and and as well, I have to say, like fan spaces, um. F- were so female and fanfic still is in a really hugely female space and so i never really realized that like being geeky or like being fanish or games or or any of this stuff was like for boys like that just was yeah. not that was just not a thing that i even knew like that was something i had to learn after i got into the games industry that apparently <laughs> You're you, not supposed to be here. yeah exactly it had never occurred to me before and, right. you know, and then when everyone around you, when you have so many women around you and you have so many like, you know, queer folks around you and and, and people like marginalized folks, you know, people from all kinds of different identities. Because like, like, I remember that I used to have uh, like, what is that called? Like like Trillion, which was that like a uh, social media software. So mm-hmm. you, you could get like AIM no, and like you could place. get them all in one yep. place and ICQ and all of those. Because like... You know, I was learn- I was collaborating with people kind of all over the world and in sp- like a spread of different time zones. Right. You know, all, you know, all to like collaborative, uh, collaboratively yeah, I, write with them. And, yeah, yeah,
1: like I'm thinking of all these people collaborating with. They probably aren't all in India, right? They're all, yeah. all over the place. Oh, right?
0: absolutely, so, like, mostly were, all over the place. And I think, yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, in a sense, like I had that community, that sense of community online through those fandom spaces that I didn't really have because with with like console games or PC games, because. That I didn't know people in my area, er- like in my area who were playing them, right. you know, it, and if I did, it was, you know, my friends who came to my house to play on my SNES. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, whereas this was a, you know, so, so it's just, I guess in, in, in a way, like it, it just felt very normal to, to, to like, I don't know, to work collaboratively, to like work with people from all over the place and with completely different and contrasting opinions, right. Um, you know, and, and that was a kind of thinking that, that, yeah, that I kind of took into my work, but is so much less, I guess, common in the in the games industry. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, so, what did you think you wanted to do when you were going through this period of time?
0: Ah, uh, wow. I wanted to. I, I think I always knew I wanted to write. I okay. always, always like, I always wanted to write, but I don't. And I think I always thought like I would end up you know being a novelist. Right? Okay. but whether I did that for my work I wanted to be a doctor for a while and okay. my parents told me not to be. My parents were both doctors. Your, your parents
1: are the Indian doctors who they told are. you not to be doctors.
0: They they the straight parents, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And you know and, and yeah, and both doctors themselves and they they kind of just sat me down and were like no, go do something creative because wow. like that's what you love and and you're 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 good at that. Right, don't right, right. don't you know they, they 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 actually like completely discouraged me from it, which I'm I'm so grateful for. That at times this part of me. Do you me think
1: that's... that was a general advice or do you think they had basically seen in you that like yeah. you had you know like a creative spark that was unusual?
0: Yeah, I think I, I think it was, I think it was it was personal. It was for me, and I think they wanted me to be. To be fulfilled uh-huh. um and i think they also knew that i'd grown up you know like doctors always have like people who are in the medical profession as friends until i was about like nine i thought that you just grew up and you became a doctor <laughs> i i honestly thought that that was just what happened you know like everyone everyone around me was one and so i think they they were i think they were probably aware that they had to counteract that a little yeah, bit Yeah, sure right. but i think they also they also um, they knew the realities of what being a doctor was, right? right? So they knew the frustrations of it, and and I think they they knew me well enough to realize that that there were there were other things that I could be doing that might be more creatively fulfilling. Right. Though I still wonder about it. Like there's a sense of purpose about it, right? Like sure. that you certainly know that you are putting good into the world in yeah. a way.
3: Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, that I that I kind of envy at times.
3: Yeah. Um.
0: You know. Um. But. Then again, like I mean, what we do, it, it is like, it's an enormous privilege to do what we do. But like, I can't help feeling slightly jealous of doctors. That's a weird thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> like, I really, yeah, the the life and death, all of the medical school, yeah, it sounds sounds like fun.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, the, the hope of video games is I don't know how, you know, how m- how much good it is that we make, but it's certainly very scalable. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, if we do something that's good in some way, yeah, it can apply to. I mean, more people than we can really fit in our head. Yeah. Right. Like, that's, 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 you the know, that's thing very that's really true.
0: That's that's very true. And I think, I think at, at its core, right, you're, you're trying to communicate something to somebody and that's, that's an incredibly hard thing to do. It's, it's an incredibly hard thing to do. And, and a video game is at its best of vehicle for doing that, which is kind of, yeah, kind of amazing when you really think about it. I think, I think I just, I think you don't really realize how difficult that is, like as a kid. At right. all, you just, just see like you don't really have a sense of like how hard it is to like have an idea in your mind and then m- have that idea appear in somebody else's mind somehow, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right.
1: In the same form or yeah, a similar right. enough form, right? Yeah. Exactly,
0: exactly. Like which, but you know that which is like the basis of it,
1: yeah. right? Okay, so you you <laughs> thought you wanted to be a writer. So yeah. what was your? What, I mean, were you worried at all about like the feasibility of that, like?
0: You know, no, because I think I think I probably thought I was going to be like a lawyer by day or whatever, and like <laughs> you know, a write a writer by night. Right, um,
3: okay.
0: I don't think I don't think I I thought I was going to be like writing as a day job. Right. You know, so it's 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 weird that it's weird that I I ended up here sure. um, in a way, but like.
1: Did Did you think about video games at all?
0: Um, I thought about. You know, I, I love, I've always loved interactive fiction and I always played interactive fiction and, and had, had sort of made some of my own and, you know, like not just in play by email games, but like moves right. and mushes and that, that kind of stuff. So, like, you know, with, with a little bit of that kind of coding as well. Um, you know, and, and all of that, like making your own websites, horrors right. um, that, that we all, like, well, that I did with GeoCities back in the day. Oh. But, like, you know, um, but I, I, uh, uh, I hadn't really thought about... I think I, I didn't really think about video games as much as I thought about uh, interactive storytelling. You okay. know, I think that was what I found interesting. Like, new media, and new technology, like web series and ARGs and transmedia. Like, that was all happening when I had just left university.
1: Right. Before we go, go mm-hmm. on, though, do you want to talk about IF a little bit? Like, maybe, mm-hmm. like, what... Um, did you play a lot of IF? And, like, were there a couple, like, standout things that, like, meant a great deal to you? Like... You know, yeah, creatively? absolutely.
0: I mean, anything written by Emily Short. I mean, she okay. remains, she remains like she's my hero. Okay. She's she's incredible. And if if you're if anyone is interested in, in IF at all and hasn't played anything, I would I would recommend anything by her. But my favorite sh- and and uh, my favorite game of hers it's a parser game, and I I, I recognize that that um there is a barrier to entry sure. with parser games. They require a particular kind of thinking. But but if you can if you can get past that, it, it, it's called Savoir Faire. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just, it, it's, it's an incredible piece of work. Cause a lot of IF, so a lot of parser is really about, um, you know, combining, combining, combining things really, and puzzle solving through combining words or concepts or ideas. And in the world of Savoir Faire, uh, that is, that is how magic is performed Okay. So so there is a kind of conflation of the in like in game magic allows you to like combine concepts. Okay. At, as as parser does. Okay. Um
3: like
0: and what s- type of concepts? Maybe? Oh god, I don't know. Uh hmm. I'm trying to think of an example from the game. Like, you know, or just, you know, if, if you think about it in like the most simple like parser way of like, you know, I don't know, combine like a like a stick and and a and a scarf to make okay. a flag or something yeah like to make a way. flag or you know or to make a bundle okay. god what where are these things i just have this <laughs> image in my head you know of like someone like pretending to leave home with like a yeah, stick sure. and a butt like a yeah, all bundle. my clothes this <laughs> right exactly thing. like yeah. sitting mostly on it's just pole. the scarf actually <laughs> right <laughs> right exactly but you know and you know but in uh, in in savoir faire that you know it, it isn't just a a metagame conceit that mm-hmm. is happening within the world of the game Okay. And you can also and you can combine like more abstract things than that. It gets it gets super weird. I,
1: I Like you can bra- you combine bravery with like Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Like you can Friendship I, or I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, it. it's like so just, I gotta like I I should you know, I I should not I, I need to find an actual example because like this I have to say, this has also been it has been like a long time since sure. I have played this game, but it's uh I yeah and I, I certainly don't want it. I don't, I know that there will be <laughs> there will be enough fans that if I get one of these these combinations wrong they will come after me. But. Okay. So there's there's like M shorts work. Um mm-hmm. and uh another really great one of hers is Galatea which is which is kind of uh you know and like an uh like is, is I'll start again. So another one of hers that that I really loved as well was was Galatea which is really all about like kind of Uh, looking and interacting and it's very it's a kind of Pygmalion story okay Um, and as well like another one that really stuck with me is John Ingold's All Roads Um, and I remember like so John is one of the co-founders of Inkle who um, who, who made make the sorcery games and made 80 Days which I wrote which um, I was the lead writer on and uh, All Roads starts with you uh, you're you're about to be hanged and you kind of have to escape the noose and then and then there's like a whole you know and then like then you sort of rewind back to like the events that come up to it and it's it's a really it's a really beautiful piece of piece of design um but you know so like a a lot of those were like intricate design but married with like amazing storytelling as well and and like m short's prose is amazing like john is incredibly inventive um i mean there's a lot there is a lot of great interactive fiction out there ben what
1: did what did like why was interactive fiction so important to you? Like
0: You know cuz I think it was it is it, it was in a weird way it's almost getting to to scratch that same itch right of like a it's a it's a puzzle as well as a story. Uh-huh. Right? Like and and it is a story that you that you that you direct yourself. And I think there is there is something there is something about games like that that sense of agency is something that that is like to me. I think is the is the major distinction in, in terms of the medium, right? right? Like that feeling of involvement of, of of directing this story, and I think particularly if you're the kind of kid that loves stories and you love telling stories too, mm-hmm. like being able to play like interactive fiction is like getting to read a story but getting to like write it as well Like, getting mm-hmm. to make it too right. like you you know you you're, in, you're you're doing both at the same time and if those are two of your favorite things like right. you're onto something that right 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 um you know and like i think it's the same it it at its best you know it feels like um i don't know playing it's again it's like collaborative storytelling right and even though um there isn't like a physical person in the room responding to you it 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 mimics that in a yeah. sense
1: so i felt that more most strongly through, like, the choice of type Mm -hmm. games. Yeah, yeah, That's the one that feels the most to me, like, that type of concept. Whereas Mm -hmm. if if something that's... I mean, it's not necessarily inherent to parser-based games, but parser-based games, you know, often are just structured around puzzles. Like, that's Mm -hmm. their backbone, right? Yeah. And, like, you know, to me, it's like, if you get stuck, you get stuck, right? (laughs) And, like, whereas, like, with something where you're just like, well, you just keep choosing and the, the world evolves, you know, from that. Like, I feel like that's, like... Like personally, that's the best expression of that I've seen. Uh.
0: I, yeah, I love those, and I, I do think there's a reason why like twine and choice love and things like that, you know, they're they've become mainstream in a way that the mm-hmm. pasta hasn't. And I know I'm I'm gonna get in trouble with the pasta crowd because uh, you know, very understandably, I love pasta games, yep. but I think I recognize that they, they there are enormous barriers to them, yep. you know, and they're 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 kind of they're and they are. a because they require a particular kind of brain <laughs> or right. a particular kind of set of skills, that limits the that limits the audience. It limits the kind of kinds of stories you can tell. Whereas, like something like Twine, so I mean, currently in the Twine space, Porpentine I think is making some of the most like incredible work. Like with those we love alive, uh, was my was my game of the year a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and of course, like Howling Dogs, right. you know, is a classic of the genre, but. You know, and I, uh, yeah, and I, 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 took, I certainly think that they're they're more approachable, right. you know. Yeah. And certainly now as well that I have a lot less time than I did. Like, you know, when I was a kid, getting stuck on a game and then like trying and retrying and spending an hour doing that—that that was that was part of the fun. Yeah, that was fine. Whereas, yeah, absolutely. Whereas now, <laughs> you know, I have a job. <laughs> I have. I occasionally would like to see my friends, you know, or the sky ever. Yeah. You know, and so I, I do find that I, I get frustrated a lot more. I don't have time. I have less time for things that that don't feel respectful of my time. I right. think. Yeah.
1: Well, it's, you got it's you got involved in the IF uh, world. It's kind of an interesting time where I was kind of like going through the wilderness, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like Infocom was this colossus, yeah. right? And then it, you know, collapsed. Yeah. yeah. And basically, IF was just basically written off by the industry. And mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting. I mean, it's kind of interesting to see that essentially, like all these concepts were incubating for. 10, 15 yeah. years, however long it took, yeah, and then, and then some of these ideas became like commercially viable again, right? Yeah,
0: completely. And and you know, anything now more than ever, thing concepts that have been perfected enough. And I think I actually think like AAA, and and you know, the indie space outside of interactive fiction has so much to kind of learn from that because there's mm-hmm. like this this almost deep well of knowledge mm-hmm. of all of those ideas that we've kind of refined and refined and refined, or like or like had like a whole bunch of ideas that you know and and i think you know if you look at say like the nemesis system of mm-hmm. um of shadows of mordor yeah i think you can see some of the genesis of that in in like in like if and and in in some of those concepts and ideas that they've been playing with right you know and i and, and i think that that's super fruitful but i think it, it is so exciting and, I, and you know i don't think there have ever been more people coming into games and being able to like Pay their rent
3: sure, yep, yep. Um,
0: from if though obviously you know not everything needs to be commercial yeah. and you know there's a huge space for all of that that hobbyist game making which I think is is kind of amazing and really vibrant and and you know frankly th- there's a lot of stuff you can do when being commercial
1: is not a thing is not your no, thing it's inspiring right like how right. many game genres survived after they had yeah. like literally zero commercial
4: potential right. like just yeah.
1: completely gone. Yeah. Right. You know, and uh you know, there's a lot of genres that just completely disappeared when that mm-hmm. happened, right? But that didn't happen to interaction f- fiction which Yeah. Is I mean I <laughs> think
0: I think in, in great part it's like, you know, folks like M and John and Andrew Plotkin and and, mm-hmm. and and several other people who really uh kind of kept kept the torch alive and, yeah. and sustained those communities. And yeah, and like now like with you know, especially in, in like the mobile space and stuff, like all of that has suddenly become hugely evolved. like Choice of is is, is enormous and doing incredibly mm-hmm. well, like, in, in, you know, yep. Dan Fabulik and, and stuff, like, which is just incredible to see. Yep. Um, and I think that has probably, you know, I would say happened in the last five years even. Right.
1: Cool. All mm-hmm. right, let's get back on the timeline. Okay. yes. And uh, so <laughs> you were you were getting into, like, ARGs. Like what I was saying, like, what was your plan, you know, yeah. to, like, getting into, like, writing or something? Mm-hmm. You you said you were kind of getting interested in the web series, ARGs, those type of things. So tell me what happened exactly.
0: Well, so um, I, I got my English degree at university, mm-hmm. and then, um, of course, I went to film school, which is, you know, finding a a way to do something with with your English Lit degree. And then at film school, I immediately decided that I had no... I mean, I already knew I had no interest in making films as such. I was way more interested in television and serial storytelling. And then, I obviously, I got so much more interested in web series and, like, you know, interactive web series and ARGs and that conflation of, like, you know... Uh, digital, digitally mediated storytelling and interactive storytelling, and um, so I spent a lot of time at film school trying to convince my film tutors that this was <laughs> this is was was a this real a, thing. Was,
1: yeah, was this a real thing? I'm trying to say, like, were you were you seeing the potential or was there like, no? I'm mean, actually so this, this is like
0: probably post like I Love Bees and sure. Perplex City and okay. stuff, and um, and in fact I I met uh, you know I ended up like interning. That was my first job in the games industry. My first job altogether. You know, I was, like, a junior designer slash intern at Six to Start mm-hmm. because I got in touch with Adrian Hahn um, because, like, Six to Start had been part of, like, Public City and there are you know, many of the people, like, involved in that. And, and that was, like, the big ARG at that time that we were all trying to learn from. Right. And, and I was like, I'm making my own ARG, <laughs> you know? Can I come in and talk to you about it? Or, like, can you give me some advice? I didn't even say, can I come in and talk to you about it? And, and he asked me to come into the office and, you know, we we had this chat and then I, like, I think I went in for like a couple of days a week for, uh, about three months, which was kind of amazing. And, and you know, it, it was like, that is something I think I didn't really expect. I don't think I even respected a reply to my email, right, <laughs> much sure. less to be like invited into the office and, and, and to kind of intern there. And then, you know, I, over there I met Naomi Alderman, who mm. is a, she's a novelist, an incredibly accomplished <laughs> novelist. Um, in fact, one of her novels is just being just being made into a film with Rachel Vice, which is amazing. Oh, cool. Uh, but she was she was there she was the their writer there in house writer, and she'd been writing games for them. And like, and I remember, like, I met her at, at uh, like drinks after my second day at work, and I just looked at her and I was like, that like that's what I want to be doing,
2: right.
0: you know. And, and you know, I was like, wow, okay, so you can write you can write novels and you can and you can make games like. Right. Okay, that's that's the life that I want. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah.
0: You know, and it was just like this amazing. And I don't, I don't know whether it did anything about it after that because then I ended up like working at the BBC for a while, mm-hmm. um, on social media, social media stuff, and then producing games. Okay, and I was in charge of their like internal. So you were um,
1: you were producing games within BBC within
0: the, within the BBC, and but I was also part of like. Is that um, what
1: you were hired for? Like... Uh,
0: so eventually, like, I ended up kind yeah. of moving on to... I was on the editorial team of Games Grid, and essentially it was a suite of... As well as, like, helping with commissioning of games, it was also, like, an internal, like, you know, um, suite of tools that, like, essentially, like, games could attach to. Okay. So, mean, like, you know, stuff. So what,
1: what type of games were you producing? Like, what does that mean exactly? Uh,
0: so, I mean, so we what we were doing was, was more, like... Kind of talking to TV people and going, okay, right. So, what do you want? What do you want to make? What kinds of you know you want to make a tie-in game? Okay, here we'll help you, like write um, a request for pitches that makes sense. We will tell you what kind of genres you should be looking at because at that time there was a lot of a lot of um, you know television broadcast folks uh, who had really no idea about the game space, uh, kind of you know making wild guesses. And and at that time it was like the dark days of the the Beeb when a lot of um, we hired a lot of um, advertising agencies and mm-hmm. marketing agencies rather than game designer like game companies to okay. make stuff. But one of the, I mean, I made I so the the first game that I was like the lead producer on was a terrible. It was truly one of the most terrible games right. <laughs> that that ever existed, and you know, and it remains hugely. <laughs> embarrassing. But I made a tie-in game for uh Planet Dinosaur, which is this huge, like BBC like, you know, lavish, big budget reimagination of like what would dinosaurs have looked like yeah. uh, you know, in the style of like Blue Planet something right. like that. And and I think, you know, they'd spent two and a half years making it and uh-huh. we had twelve weeks from start to finish. Well, by to the way, what what year would this have been? Make a game. Oh my god. Uh oh, t- about Ten years ago, eight years ago. Okay, all right, so two thousand nine. Yeah, about. I sincerely hope it is not still. Okay. all
1: somewhere. right. Tell us about this game.
0: Wow, I mean, it was one of those things where you know, like, I made all of I made all of the classic I made all of the classic mistakes. Like, my boss had just left the, the organization, and so I ended up being like kind of catapulted yep. into like the leadership position, and mm-hmm. so I had all of the responsibility and none of the authority.
3: Yeah,
0: um, and I was basically like the. You know the the person that, that that interfaced with the game studio, and then had to like um, also get like stakeholder buy in internally.
3: Right.
0: So a lot of my job was apologizing to the game studio for nice. changing changing our demands or for giving them feedback. But um, yeah, it's just it was like a it was it was a game where you kind of raised these dinosaurs and you had to feed them and it was With a little Tamagotchi style. Cinema,
1: like a browser-based game? It was a browser-based time- game.
0: They were all browser-based okay. games, right? Uh, but, but the problem was, like, you know... Um, Again, like I didn't put my foot down. We were like massively overscoped. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't have been trying to make a game in twelve weeks because there was yeah that's not it's enough time it's just to make it was it is not <laughs> enough time to make a game, particularly the kind of game that we wanted to make. Like you know, now looking back at it clearly, we should have made something like super abstract and yeah. you know that was just like a series of dots on the screen that were representing dinosaurs. Whereas instead we spent like you know I think we had something like eight eight or ten dinosaurs in the game and. They took three out three days to render each one because we okay. were using the assets that were used for like the 3D oh
3: my like
0: TV show things because to... yeah because basically the TV you know they wanted it to to feel contiguous with the TV show and to look really beautiful. Uh, you know which meant that we want you know they were like Oh well, let's take advantage of all of these assets we have so you can imagine on like a 12 week from the request for pitches right. and then you know there's a week and so, um to and like 3 days to render each dinosaur before you can even start wow. doing anything with it was uh you know but so again I like you didn't
1: want to change anything about that so
2: oh my
0: god <laughs> i yeah it was i mean it was also a really terrible experience because you know i just um my team had just shifted to um to Manchester, and you know, and I was right. with a new team, and I had a, a really horrible um, person who wasn't my boss, but mm. uh, but you know, I was very upset about the fact that he wasn't my boss and knew nothing about video games. So there was a certain amount, you know, so it was it's not the happiest of times. And yeah. I think I think that definitely showed, and and I felt like I was doing a bad job, you know, yeah. and and I think it was so one. What of those... was, What was
1: this all about? Like, who was pushing for these games? Like, what was the goal? Like, well, behind I mean, all the this? goal, was the just goal. A...
0: The cool. goal was engagement, right? The goal with the goal was like, uh, you know. And I don't know. I think at that time there was a there was not enough of an institutional understanding about the purpose of these games and why we were doing it. You know, like just like pre like the the previous year, I spent most of my time telling, uh, you know, telling TV shows that they didn't need a Twitter account yes. or they didn't need a Facebook account. Right. Like I was a social media person. But most of my job was <sighs> to go, no, you don't need this right. because everyone wanted one and yeah. they didn't know why they wanted one. I remember I showed up my first day at work and, and you know, someone was like, so how much money do you need to set up Twitter? <laughs> you know, and I had gone in. You with, should have been like, I need yeah, about 5,000 <laughs> 5, pounds yeah. a
1: month. I'll be back.
0: Yeah. Right. Like and I had gone in being like, oh right, okay, so you know, you know about the like 170 character limit, and 140 character limit, and should we, you know, should I be writing the tweets or should you be writing the tweets? I'm like, okay, I need to scrap all that and yeah. start like from the beginning. And yeah. and it was a similar process with games. Like a lot of a lot of my job was going to meetings with people who are incredibly senior and who really knew their shit, you know, when it came to, to making television and who were incredible at their jobs. And and it's very understandable i think that when you're at the top of one field you don't want to you don't want to start again and yeah. you don't you don't feel as though you need to and especially when video games i think especially at that time even more so than now were very much considered to be like the poor cousin sure. right of uh, of television of film of of any other medium yeah and they were things that geeks did and they were like oh it's for nuts
1: well there was also probably would have been right in the middle of like the farmville boom yeah assume, right? yes so there was a concept back then you know they loved Zynga loved to talk about how like oh we made farmville in two months and like blah 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 which is like mm-hmm. <laughs> right,
3: right. <laughs> Not
1: exactly what happened but yeah. like um but yeah there was the sense that you just throw anything up on the web and stuff just like took off on its own right yeah and,
0: like, right. Yeah, yeah exactly and you know like and then i mean you know when i was there it was only towards the end of my time there that that we even started even looking at analytics. You know what I mean? Like, so it was it was very much like we're a little bit in the dark,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and there were there were kind of all of these these weird pressures, and it was also it was also just. Um, Kind of around, you know. Of course, like yeah, there was Fumble, but it was also that time where like gamification was huge, mm-hmm. yep. right? Like the which is like a, um, a a curse word now, but at that time everyone wanted to get into gamification. And, yeah. and actually, at the at the be like a, a lot of what I produced, you know, after I left Games Grid was was really playful prototypes and products, and you know, which kind of really made a lot of sense. Like some of it was like to promote, like you know, one of the BBC's you know big objectives was lifelong learning. So uh-huh. uh, so a lot of it was like you know, ge- like lightly gamified ways that we could encourage people to. You know, a lot. You know, a lot of it now. I think it was that was a bit of a fad <laughs> that that, but it was it was kind of enormous at that time.
1: Right. And all right. Well, let's let's talk about this then. So you mm-hmm. you spent some time working on mm-hmm. these movie tie-in right. or sorry, TV tie-in games, yeah. which were. Mixed yeah. success. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, I and, think you could say that.
1: And so then you moved off from that. You were still inside the BBC, but you were doing something. Yeah, different I was. There. I was
0: making. I was making like playful prototypes okay. for knowledge and learning, which is a department at the at, at the BBC. And so you know, I was. I was. Now, prototype
1: kinda... means like traditionally, a prototype means like you're making something that's not actually shipping.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Means? So it... these are a lot of these are internal prototypes. And actually, okay. by the time I left the BBC, I think I had just we just like commissioned. So it was kind of an amazing experience because I was still pretty young. I must have been like, you know, 23, 24, if that. Okay. And, you know, and I had like a budget of something like 250,000 uh-huh. pounds. And we were like commissioning people to make, make you know, prototypes. And, and we, I got to talk to like teachers and pedagogical experts and, you know, people from game design. And there were a lot of really clever people involved. And But I think, I don't think I will offend anyone if I say it's a good life lesson to learn that sometimes a bunch of really clever people with the best intentions can make something terrible okay. right? right and I, you know and I, and I, I think <laughs> I think that's kind of good it's good to know and I, mm-hmm. I you know and I think there are there are things that games do that they're good at and I think there are things that games aren't good at right. doing well, and it's a bit pointless to, <laughs> yeah. yeah well let's
1: ground this a little bit like right. what What, for example like give me an example of an example
0: like, of what game. we are doing mm-hmm. Uh you know so uh a, a whole bunch of things so so we were we were like looking into um interactive video uh-huh. right in the in, like at the time i i don't know this is like even pre you know youtube doing giving you the ability to like you know also play your next video yeah. or select other ones and so so you do like simple branching narratives with okay. video and so like there was a big like there's a big one around knife crime uh okay. you know where you were like you were like picking options, and like you know, is it had this sort of like you know, don't <laughs> knives are bad <laughs> message, um, uh, you know, but but like also how you,
1: to de-escalate like yeah like right. a conflict or like don't grab the knife by the wrong end.
0: Yeah, like exactly. You know, it's it's kind of more you know, like and there was a whole wave of those right, like little interactive simulation things that were often like in video that, you know, could teach you how to like resuscitate someone okay. or recognize the signs of like a stroke or, okay. you know, stuff like that. Like that was very, very on the learning side, but also similarly things like, you know, uh, little, um, prototypes that like would, ha- you know, how to judge progress, how to give people feedback on like learning things, how to nudge them, you know, into, into learning that next thing or second screen experiences was also something that I sure. did quite a bit of. So, you know, stuff like, you know, the, I think the probably the most basic example of the thing that probably was the biggest thing that, that came out of that was like, so with like frozen planet, mm-hmm. if you had your, your iPad open or your phone open and you know, if an animal came up on screen, it, it like would know what that animal was yeah. because it was right. And would give you more information or like serve you a game, a little interactive game or a quiz or something right. like that. Right. And I think there was a huge, that was also a huge time of like personality quizzes and, yeah. and that kind of thing.
1: This sounds like basically a big institution throwing a lot of things at yeah. the wall. Basically, yeah. it, um, it
0: it it was, and I think which is
1: actually fine. Like I, you know, it's probably the best thing. No one knew what what to do back then. Right? Yeah,
0: I mean, yeah, I mean, I think I think we certainly knew better. I mean, so one of the things that I did while I was there was like achievements. Mm-hmm. Like that was that the this huge thing, and we commissioned. In fact, we commissioned like hide and seek, and like Margaret Robertson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's how I met Margaret. Uh, to do to do achievements, uh Margaret and, and like and, and Alex as well, like achievements for the BBC. Uh I think some of that stuff might have came, come out after I left, but okay. um you know, yeah, so it it was a you know, it was great. I think it but it also I think there was an extent to which, you know, it was a little bit um naive to expect innovation to come out of the BBC because like a big institution like that, that's not its job. The fact that yeah. it's not good at, at innovating at the bleeding edge of like digital is not a is not a bad thing. Sure. In fact it makes sense for it to be like risk averse yeah. and do the tried and tested. Right. It's trying
1: to do innovation top down. Yeah. Right.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. Do. Which is really hard to do and you have all of this sort of cultural inertia. Um, you know, though, like BBC R&D now is doing lots of interesting things, but as well, it was such a huge organization that, you know, like six months into a project or three months in, you'd, fig- you'd find out that there was another team doing something super similar, mm-hmm. like just down, yeah. like round the corner right, and you yeah. had no idea about it, you know, so so there was a lot of that, like there was a lot of like siloed knowledge. Um, so did
1: some of your prototypes come out eventually, and like?
0: I think I think some like- of some of them must have done in in some form, but like you know, like a, a long time later, and I think that was also the problem. Like we would work on stuff internally, mm-hmm. and and it just took a took a long time for yeah. like buy-in to be happening, and that was also the time that iPlayer was was getting a massive re, refit, mm-hmm. which meant that like pretty much all, all internal resources were like focused on iPlay, which is you know. Super understandable and, and makes sense from an organisational perspective. But, I
3: don't actually know
0: what iPlayer is. Oh, um, iPlayer is like the streaming service of the BBC, right? So, oh, okay. like you, it, like it's where you can just watch. Yep. Okay. BBC on sense. demand. Right. Um. You know. And, yeah. So that was a time that it was like super new and very exciting. Yeah. Um, we had like an internal service called BBC Redux that you could only access if you had a BBC password. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, that BBC account and password, I think were the, were the most coveted (laughs) items in all of, Sure. yeah. And I continued to like, and it continued to stay active even after I left for about six months, which was amazing. But yeah, but it was like the archive of everything. And and this was like the, the user facing version of that. Right. And I think, I think iPlayer must've been one of the first, one of the first like big organizational, big broadcast versions of that. Yeah. Right.
1: Okay. All right. So, is this you moved on from BBC? After well, so, so this period, I got or? I got
0: yeah I got I got made redundant at the BBC. Okay. Um, you know, and and I I had to I moved back home. Okay. I moved back home to my parents' house, and uh, and I decided that uh, you know while I was applying for other jobs, I'd um, I'd start making my own games. Okay. You know, and I just thought and. um
1: and is this, why did you want to make your own games at this time?
0: Well, so well, I'd always wanted. I'd would al- always wanted to make my own games. I always wanted to make uh, interactive fiction because I, you know, played so much of it, and and it had been a long time, right? Like you know, I made all of those moves and mushes, and mm. you know, and did all of that kind of, and played by email games, and all, a lot of that kind of stuff. But I I that fell off when I went to university. Yeah. Uh, you know, and this was kind of probably just a couple of years after that. And and so it's actually the first kind of opportunity to to do that. Like I had a bunch of free time. Yeah, how come and it, you
1: didn't uh, read a novel?
0: Wow. Yeah. Hmm. You know, it was kind of because so I had been playing, I'd been playing Full in London. Okay. Yeah. Um. Or as it was called, then Echo Bazaar, which yep. is Fail Better's game. And everyone at the Beeb was playing it. Um. I think I ha- might have made my whole team play it. Um. And their their system they had just made it, they had just opened it out to the public. So they, you know, they just made Story Nexus um, usable and they were running a competition for the world of the season. And so it was like, um, I think it was like maybe three months or four months away at that time. And so they, they opened up Story Nexus and to attract people to come and make games in, in, in the system. And the people judging were um, Mike Laidlaw, from, from Bioware, Mm. um, and, you know, and I was, I'm an enormous Bioware, like a Dragon Age fan, like, you know, and Jonas Karazzi's, uh, you know, um, who is like, probably like, you know, um, the witness and various things, um, and, uh, oh God, I hope I got that right, and then, um, Susan Arendt as well, so three amazing people, and I, and I thought you know, worst case scenario, I go and I'm, I make something, and Mike Lay, and Jonas, and Susan Aaron are going to play it, yep, and give me some feedback. Right. You know, that's pretty great. In that's some good yeah. Absolutely, and and you know, and I and I thought, and the story Nexus system was it was like just kind of gamey enough that it was it was like interesting to design around. So I'm so I made a game. I made a game called Samsara,
1: okay,
0: which is about dream walking. In 18th century Bengal at the, at the, like, um, at the cusp of the British Raj, basically. So, okay. So Why you, did
1: you choose that that era and that, that setting? Uh,
0: because I wanted to, <laughs> so I wanted to write a TV show um, about Dreamwalkers.
1: Okay.
0: And it was going to be set in the modern day. And it was basically so I had all of the concepts about how dreamwalking worked and, and all that stuff, and it was going to be set in London. And I had like
1: Dr- dreamwalking is literally sleepwalking, no so, call, so, or no, is no, so no, no so
0: lit- it's like um, the magical ability to like g- enter somebody else's dreams. Oh,
3: okay, all
0: right, right. And uh, uh, you know, and so I had had this whole plot for a season of a TV show, uh-huh. uh, which I was kind of starting to write, and yeah, and then so I decided, you know, and then half of it, it was, like, split between the modern day and then, like, um, colonial India. Okay. And so I was like, wait, okay, so what if I actually wrote a game about just the, the Indian part of it and it, and that just expanded out? Um, you know, I wanted to write a, a story about, um, about that period because mm-hmm. I felt like it was underexplored and yeah. I wanted to learn more about it as well. Um, and... You know, it was, and it, it turned into like, I think it, it was just, it was that moment, like 1757, the Battle of Plassey, uh, essentially considered to be like the, the moment that the British East India Company became the British Raj and it became an imperial project. So this is yep. like the last independent ruler of India, the Nawab of Bengal. Yep. Um, you know, and, uh, and I think, you know, and I found all of these, like I started doing like an immense amount of research, uh, and it was great because I also got to like my mother's a huge fan of of Urdu ghazals and uh, you know and p- Persian Arabic poetry. Mm-hmm. Okay. So guzzles are like you know songs, poems. Most of them written in in um, Urdu or Arabic.
3: Okay.
0: Um, and you know like it, it, and she she speaks it well. And she, so I grew up like listening to this kind of music and this these, mm-hmm. the, this kind of culture. And I had always been like I, you know particularly like I, I you know I grew up all over the world, but like. Particularly in like in Arab countries and Indian, like I've always been fascinated by by that Mughal influence, by the Arab influence, mm-hmm. like the Persian influence in yeah. India. And all of that beautiful culture. So it was was a great... And in some ways, I think I must have thought about, like, it's great. I get to write about something and, like, talk to my mom about her favorite guzzles and put those in the game and and go and research, like, great Persian poets of, like, you know, the 16th century. And, you know, it's kind of, I guess, an excuse for me to do a a lot of the things that I I loved. Um, And it was also, for me, I wanted to write a story about British India from the Indian perspective, because I had okay. always seen, I had yep. always seen it from the British perspective. Yep. I had never heard the story of of colonial of colonialism from from my own perspective,
3: mm-hmm.
0: and and it felt really important for me to be able to like kind of tell that story and to have you know even people in the West. Um, and you know, I knew that I was writing it for a, like largely Western audience. Though I though I hope some Indians played it, and I, I know a few did, but like you know. Not not to get onto the like the empathy games train, but I do think there is something powerful about like and there's something really human about putting yourself in the shoes of someone who is completely other than you, yeah. and seeing what you think of as or you might not think about you might be ignorant about or you might think of as a glorious project right. from from the other perspective, mm-hmm. you know, and for me, because I was writing kind of an alternate history, it was also a way to. To kinda of go, well, maybe we could even change things. And I, I, I it is incomplete. So I released it on a month by month basis. It was like four months in the lead up to the Battle of Plassey. Okay. And I released three months and not the fourth because I got my job with Inkle. Oh
1: great. Okay. <laughs> you
0: know, so uh Alright,
1: well tell tell us more about before you jump to Inkle, yeah, like yeah, yeah. tell us more about like the game, like as it as it was. So like
0: Yeah. So I mean so you so you play you are a who is a dream walker? That is an ancient Indian f- magic, mm. or at least you think it's Indian. You don't know. Everyone practices it slightly differently. You are you play a Hindu in the in the and a, uh, and you come from a poor family, so you're an outsider in the largely like Muslim elite court of the Nawab.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Uh, I probably would have written it differently now, given Modi's India and. Um, you know, and and kind of that Islamophobia that's happening here. I didn't really mean it to be about a, a minority story about a Hindu, but but what I really wanted it to be was the story of an outsider. You know, and so and this was an, an, an innate talent. So you're almost in the position of like a court sorcerer, I suppose, somebody who is respected for their power, hmm. but also like feared and and not considered, not not considered normal, not considered one of you. Okay. You know, so I, I wanted I wanted you to be in the position of the outsider in so many ways, um, which, you know, narratively allows you to see the court um, with with new eyes. And it, it, there's a reason for me to explain some of that stuff to you. But also you are made to feel like an outsider, even though many of those qualities are not ones that, you know, and I think I think I, I had always been uh, more drawn to the idea of uh uh, drawn away from the idea of like an everyman character, right? I wanted okay. I wanted to explore the idea of like defining the character you're playing and the protagonist. Right. And I think I'd always felt like the specificity was not the enemy to, to empathy. Okay, sure. You know? Um so yeah, so you're this kind of court sorcerer and, and so you you wander through the dream, through uh the dreams of the courtiers by night and by okay. day you're in the court. Okay. Um all the while you know, and this is this is basically the last days of this of this great uh, civilization in a way, or this great kingdom. You know, that there's the Marathas sort of pressuring you, like the, the Maratha kingdom pressuring um, the um, the Nawab uh, internally. There's the British, there's the French. You know, the Seven Years' War is going on, so so they're kind of engaged in this battle across your territory um you know and then there's you know Robert Clive there are all these like amazing historical figures ar- around at the time and and you you get to not only kind of navigate your way around the reality of 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 these of these spaces right. but also uh you know what is happening in people's minds so it kind of almost you you get to play with with kind of literariness and symbolism and uh you know and, and as well, like, so you're, you're kind of, you're sort of part assassin, part spy, part courtier, Mm-hmm. And you're like you're the Nawabs trusted agent, and you go into dreams and you spy on people and you report back. You 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 find see- so I was very very angry about Inception when it came out because it <laughs> came out after I wrote this. Okay, <laughs> and I was just like, damn, you know. So, but but anyway, is this, so you is, were
1: doing something like that, Wait, right, So it's,
0: it's it's kind of a, it's a little similar to that. Like yeah. it's an idea of like entering people's dreams,
1: dreams and in, like you. So you'll have some agency in their dreams. Oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely what happens.
0: yes. So okay. and you can and you can be changed by the dream as well. So okay. like you have to be very. So you have to not disturb people's dreams, because if you do, then the dreams can like suck you down into them or people can dream you into other shapes. So there are like there are myths and stories of warning that Sayulu tell each other about like, you know, they disturb someone's dream and then somebody dreamed them with like lizard scales and they came back out into the. So your physical body is going into the dream. Right. And you generally step through the dreams of like of a dreamer, somebody who has particularly stable dreams. And you go, you enter the dream world almost as though it's like a completely parallel plane. And then in the dream, you use dream logic to navigate. Okay. So you can actually, at one point you get, you can enter the dream of the French king mm-hmm. through his, through his ambassador, the French ambassador of the mm-hmm. court, who actually was friends with him mm-hmm. and is dreaming about a dinner party or like, you know, it's dreaming about a dinner party and there's a, a portrait um, of the king on the wall and you can actually like, go through the portrait into the king's dreams. Okay. So you know, it, so like,
1: dream logic means doesn't necessarily make sense, but it, right, exactly. Like some it's,
0: connection, right? Right, exactly. It's more like symbol, uh, it's more symbolic than it is like geographical, but also like geography plays a part. So, and then you you have to like, if you want to get somewhere else, you you have to pick your way through, and and like, and it is dangerous and treacherous. So every time you enter the dream. It is it is an enormous risk, yeah. and people can dream you into different shapes. Um, and if you disturb people's dreams, and it it is unsafe to be in a dream that's collapsing.
1: Okay, is there are there failure states like you can die and? I mean, type of
0: thing, or... yeah, you. I mean, you can't, you can't, you can't die. You can gain. Um, like so the story nexus system works with like so generally it's a lot of it is like about repeatable action and so you try something and you can fail and then it just like you can it kicks you out of the card or you know so you just don't get the result that you want but you don't necessarily or you you gain a quality that is like you know you're you're like marked by the dream or something you know you gain scars or whatever but um but generally it just means that you can't Try and you can try things multiple times, yep. and the failures are as are often like as fun as yep, the sure. you know right, as, as the successes. Right? Now
1: the stuff that you were the, sort of the stuff that you're the the things that could happen and mm-hmm. the situations that you're putting in the game. How much? Where was the line between stuff that you know stuff that was real you found from research, stuff you found from like. You're some Indian myth and mm-hmm. stuff that you like created on your own
0: yeah so like you know there is no there isn't really a myth of dream walking in okay. like Indian mythology so that was something and Sayalu is like a it's um i I think it's from like a an an ancient egyptian text okay uh that is like about like you know ancient Egyptian courtly mysticism okay. right because it and I think there is there is a tradition of dream walking there so that's where I got that word from. But um, I researched a lot of it. I'm, I I did a lot of ridiculous... I did a ridiculous amount of research. And I think... In, and You know, a lot of it is very, very inventive. But honestly, the truth of that time, I think, is so much w- weirder than yep. anything you could possibly imagine. I think a lot of people probably played it and think that this, the things that are absolutely true are the things that I made up. You know, I mean, there's like... Like, like what, for example? You know, like... There's just this an enormous amount of like multiculturalism at court. So you have like you know there are there's like you know Chinese traders trading jade. Yeah. There are you know there's 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 like there's Persians there's like there's South and there's people from like all over of different faiths. There's Buddhist. There's like you know and uh, there's God. I'm trying to think of like what is like one of the weirdest things. Probably also. um, Man, I mean, I got to write... I mean, I got to write lots of fun, really, like, normal stuff, like, you know, mil- people um, mm-hmm. dreaming, like, malaria-filled fever dreams right, and, like, yeah. quinine-coloring coloring dreams. Um, God, I'm trying, you know... I'm trying to think of, like, probably what is, like, one of the... Weird- All of it is really weird. Okay, so one of the... So, um, one... Uh, okay, so this fact, I think, for some reason, just always sticks out at me, but it was that... That they used to, um, even at the court of the Nawab of Bengal, and and even you know back in the in the Mughal era, in general, people used to like carve ice mm-hmm. out of from like mountains and transport ice. So there are these like yeah. vast caravans of ice, and they would chip. You know, so this is ice from like the the Himalayas, yes, right? Yes. Like and. Transported all the way down, insulated, protected, so that the nawab like, the nabob, cunt. yeah, it's, you're right, exactly. Like sometimes on people's backs, yes, yeah. like sometimes on donkeys, Also that they could chip ice into drinks yeah. at court and into sherbets, and you know, like that was that was that was one of the great luxuries of the time. Yes, there were also like amazing books. So like there are, um, I read so many books about like housekeeping. Mm -hmm. Um, And particularly there were loads of books written for British women, slightly a little bit, you know, further along, like during the era of the British Raj when you had Maim Sahib transports, which were essentially like um, fleets of, of white British women sent to India to marry mm. the officers because yeah. otherwise they'd start marrying Indian women <laughs> right. and getting going native yeah. right and they really and and they realized that actually how, how do you change culture and, and a huge vector of colonialism is is women yeah. and it's the household you know make sure that they get to eat roast beef at home yeah. you know make here's how to make and so there are these like huge incredibly detailed ri- lists written by women you know about like this is how much to pay your aya like your your maid this mm-hmm. is how how to not be taken advantage of by a cook, and then of course like the all of these grim like here are the racial stereotypes like you know you should right. need to get Parsi women to nurse your children, <laughs> and you know oh like these people are more you know and and so it's like it's essentially just it's a manual for for recreating an English home
3: yeah yep. abroad yeah
0: right so like all of that stuff is amazing and just getting to look like I could like so it's just kind of insane to me that I could actually like re- literally tell you the price of rice in the mm-hmm. market yep. in that era. Right? Yep, yep. Um, <laughs> Not that I can now, but yeah.
1: <laughs> cool. Uh, so uh, how did the actual, like how did you, when you say you like, you go into the dreams mm-hmm. and you make choices that yeah. can, or, you know, you do things that can affect the outcomes. Mm-hmm. So was there, was there branching? Was there a single yeah, narrative? So, like, so, um,
0: Story Nexus is, is really, it's a, it's a, it's a card based uh, system mm-hmm. so you have decks of cards uh you you get to decide how like how many there are obviously how often they come up where you know, what priority of events they are so there's a mix so um I had like you know a deck that was Murshidabad, the capital and there were like repeatable events so there were like physical spaces you could explore like you could go and explore the markets place you could go and explore you know um the sufi poet's tomb where Mm -hmm. they would drink guzzles and drink guzzles where they would sing guzzles and drink opium Uh of the evening uh you know you go and enter the court you could go you know so those were like physical spaces and repeatable activities that that kind of gave you a sense of an atmosphere and a physical space and then You and then entering the dream was like a whole separate card that was like pinned to the bottom. Okay, and you entered the dream, and then you just got you kind of and then you had a whole deck of dream cards, and and your entire hand was wiped as you went in. But you also have, um, you know, cards that you pinned to the bottom that were quests. Mm -hmm. So I had like you know, like these, um, kind of more directed quests that were sequential uh-huh. that you had to you had to kind of um well essentially grind you know resources and skills and qualities in in the um you know in, in your in your decks in order to progress yeah and those were pretty branching so based on those on choices you made in those cards certain other cards were activated okay. in each of those decks okay but also every um every action you took in the dream spent. A, a resource essentially okay. and that was a resource that you gained by by doing things in the wake yes right like so and and it was it was kind of essentially framed as like a kind almost refreshing your mind right like so it the the dream was treacherous and dangerous and stressful and you you rapidly lost the ability to kind of retain a sense of self there. So you had to go and listen to poetry, or you know go you know go eat an almost amazing meal, or go visit your lover in order to kind of gain back the the the, the sort of energy. I I completely forgotten what it's amazing. I could have not imagined a world in which I could have forgotten what that resource, what I call that resource in samsara, but I have. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. So so that was the balance. So really. And and it, and sometimes in order to progress a quest, like some of the quest stages took place in the wake, yeah. and one of the stages was in the dream. So there was there's a kind of reason to go back and forth between those those two states.
1: Right. Okay. Um, so was it then a sense that there was like, you know, stuff in the dream could unlock other stuff, but essentially you could sort of play everything, or was no, the so story going to a was, specific place? Yeah,
0: loads of it was was unlocked. So there's there's there was a base kind of uh, number of cards that were that were there to just give you space and flavor. And then based on your actions either in the quests or even on the cards themselves, quite often, you would unlock more cards and add them to the deck. And then as we progressed, so that was month one. Like yeah, so I, right. I wrote it in chapters.
3: Yeah.
0: And so month two unlocked another city, Chandanagore. Right. Which just added a second deck to the wake to the to the um wake. Uh-huh. And because of, because it's a really it's a very convenient in some senses and very like cleverer than I realized at the time uh, way of going about it, because whatever, who, whatever character I created in the wake, you know, there was a ready-made, like there was an obvious card parallel for the dream, right? Mm -hmm. Like you get to see into their dreams. So, so there was a, there was a kind of um, an obvious expansion logic there, you know, and things that you, so, uh, you know, and it, it became a little bit more, complex as as it progressed and and you were you were kind of progressing through so you had like a kind of bunch like a few personal quests and then the main quest was really like investigating the the british like finding out about out about the rumors of of war on the okay. horizon um so there is there's like this historical narrative that's kind of drawing you through to this like kind of inevitability right. that's that's ahead of you as well as um you know as well as more um as well as more like little personal quests as well Um, so I mean you know like we deal with like the Black Hole of Calcutta and that Mm -hmm, incident and stuff like that as well which is like you know so and and there's a certain amount of like uh, around a lot of those narratives I think what I found as well was there's that what we think of as history is, is often it's written by the victors and it's from a very specific perspective and the truth of it is often is often very muddled and I think once you realize that it's very freeing Mm -hmm. it's very freeing because you realize that all history is an is invention Mm -hmm. and and we remake our history every every age remakes their past and has and we are imagining our histories entirely so this idea of of accuracy you know is is sort of i you know i i think a kind of red it's a kind of red herring to me you know not that i you know i certainly like i'm and i'm a huge i'm a huge proponent of like doing the research but the more you do the research the more you realize that Things were always so much more complicated than you thought they were, and the truth of the matter is, is something that is often up for debate yeah. and and not well, usually. Singular.
1: A lot of these eras, you're really just looking through a peephole, right. right? You just just we just don't have the information, yeah. Right, so you know you have to you have to make inferences, and of course the inferences are going to be based off well, of where yeah, you're coming from.
0: Absolutely, but you know, and even if you do, even if you have a profusion of information, so much of it is so wildly contradictory, mm-hmm. you know. Um, And, and there were, and there were often efforts to deliberately obfuscate the truth. I think a lot of people think that like, oh yeah, you know, that, that's, you know, someone who's writing a history book, oh, that's like a completely neutral act. No, why, who is paying for them to write that history book? Why were they doing it in the first place? You know, nothing gets, and that, and that people are going to tell you an accurate um, summation of events. Like, which is just, which is just so not true. People sure. lie all the time. Yeah. Like that is, that is, that is just a fundamental truth. So, so most of the, and you know, so it's, it's not just lies of omission, but just you know, sometimes you get to see the truth through the like shadow of the lie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Why, like, why
1: were they making, why were they lying? Right. right. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a very like Foucauldian idea, sure. right? Like the, what, what a society considers taboo is, is like that reveals its preoccupations. Yes.
1: Yeah. Um, okay, so if you uh, but you didn't you didn't finish it, right? No. But where was where did you see the story going? Like the main the main. Well, thread? so it was,
0: I think it was like, I think there was one more month, and that was going to be the Battle of Plassey, and you know, but but I should say that I released all the you know I released three months before then, so it wasn't as though I didn't wait to finish it, uh-huh. and I I always say this to people like because I've done so many of those like how to make your first game yep. making your first game panel, and the the only um the only kind of through line between the people in the audience who are working in the games industry and not to me is whether they finished a game and sure. you know and and i think i like it all showed it to somebody yeah. right like and again like i think if I, if I had if i'd waited until i'd finished samsara to put it out there it still wouldn't exist and i probably wouldn't have gotten a job with ink <laughs> you know right, right, right. um so even though it wasn't finished it was it was I was releasing content for it, and and the the yeah. So the only reason, so it was it was that climactic battle, the battle of Plassey. And I think I hadn't quite decided whether I was going to allow you to subvert history right. and subvert the colonial, the the British Raj. Right. Um, I think that was something I was I was wrestling with. I wasn't sure whether that would be.
1: Yeah, I guess I was curious what like what you wanted to say about the inevitability of that, right? Yeah,
0: you know, and I I mean. Yeah, and I think I think it was it was a debate that I was having with myself and probably a debate that I, I resolved in some way in Eighty Days, right? Okay. Because it, it's 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 kind of doing doing a similar thing. It's all about like why are we telling this alternate history? What is the purpose of it? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and it you know, I think with with Eighty Days the purpose of it was to, to avert colonialism. Yes, to tell to tell it a completely different story. And I, I felt like the fear, the the worry that it was, you know, going to whitewash um, Western colonialism was less important than than how empowering it would be to see an Africa that had not been colonized yeah. or an India resisting colonization. Yeah. Uh, whereas, whereas in um, in Samsara, I think I think I was leaning more towards towards showing colonialism happen and showing the British Raj in all of its venality and, and 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 all of its sort of cruelty and horror, and and really making you feel the loss. Uh, and I, th- I think I was I think I was leaning more towards it's it's how you respond. So I I think that there, there might have been options that I was thinking about with you being able to like defect
3: mm-hmm.
0: and maybe even you know. But again, like there's also a kind of a worry around respectfulness, right? I don't want to go back and 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 say, oh yeah, this one person's action is responsible for this huge cultural event. These, this something that is put down to historical forces. Yes. And, And I think that also in some ways removes the, the kind of moral valence and 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 it removes the responsibility from the from the peop, from people who should right. who's who, like who we should look back and and see their responsibility
1: right. historically. Like, like there could have been one person who could have changed all this, and that's not really
0: yeah. Or like you know all of this actually secretly happened because of a Lu who went into yeah. the dream and altered this, and you know and 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 that's a it's a kind of it's it, it's seductive but it's also reductive.
3: Yeah. yeah. In
0: a, I think um, a lot of it was also just finding finding human ways to kind of tell some of these like big historical stories, right? Like, so who are the main actors? And and I think I was so interested in also finding, um, you know, again, like, because at the time the Nawab of Bengal's court is so patriarchal. Um, And so your tutor is the Sayalu, is a woman, um, which is unusual at the time. And you also have like people behind the scenes, like the Begum, um, the Nawab's mother at the time. And so... Uh, you get into a little bit of courtly intrigue there. So actually that was really helpful for me because like getting to know her and her involving you in her intrigue meant that it opened up the, because what actually did, it did did happen was the Nawab of Bengal was betrayed by one of his generals who went over to the British side and uh, you know, and like, and gave away his, his plans um, and there is like a huge amount of like speculation about like whether he did that at the request of the big um whether it was like a part of the power play kind of internally. so so yeah, so it was I think it was a lot of it was just finding ways to 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 find a human way into those and and in some ways, like uh, you know the idea of like being able to see into people's dreams allow it just allows you all of this um ability to kind of explore people's like, like the plots and plans, but also uh, to be able to look at like, okay, what are, there are these, these countries that have these goals. Like, yes, you know, okay, Britain and France are, are, in, are, in, are at war with each other across India, but who's in charge of that, right? Like, and, and, you know, can we explore it from the, from the dreams of like a French soldier? Can we explore it from the perspective of like an Indian sepoy who is actually, you know, in the British, in, like in the British army at the time? Like and what did they? So you get you could get to have all of these like unusual perspectives on 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 history, and I think that's that was really fun. And the m- minute you start doing that, it then it just kind of just unspools from there. I
4: think it's amazing how your historical outrage mm. out- outrage went into your game. Yeah. like differently. One yeah. time exposing was Samsara, and then in eighty days, probably rerouting, having yeah. an alternate alternate route to history. No, what yeah. if.
0: Well, so, I mean, the way that I got into 80 Days was because, so, I don't know how, how familiar everyone is with the story of Jules Verne's Around the World in 80 Days, which is the novel that it's based on, but it is um, in, the, in the middle of it. And so it's about these, it's about Phileas Fogg, a weird eccentric Englishman yep. who decides that he's going to, like, for no reason at all, like, no one is holding a gun to his head, he's going to try and race around the world in 80 days, because he reads in the newspaper that there is a trans, um, a trans, not transcontinental, but a trans country, like a, a railway that goes across India from Bombay to Calcutta. And that means that he calculates that it that means it will be possible to go around the world in 80 days. And he takes a bet with his several other posh rich friends, friends at the Reform Club. Um, but India is really central to the novel because the, the entire novel is really about an Englishman sort of staking the corners of empire. Mm. And, and you almost never leave the British Empire in right. Around the World in 80 days. Right. Which is, you know... When you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The sun never sets on yeah. the British Empire. And there is a character that you meet in India called Auda, And she's an Indian princess. She's very pale. She's very beautiful. And Fog rescues her from being burned alive as as you know because of sati which yep. is like a, mm-hmm. a a practice which has some historical roots but uh you know there are there is some some historical reconsideration of like how prevalent that was and whether that was also used as a as a way to generate outrage by the british sure to to kind of maintain their control so he rescues her because she's the widow of a of one of the one of the princes uh so he rescues her and she goes with him on the rest of the journey and then at the end, it ends with them marrying, right? And so it's, like, it's the perfect story of, like, uh, India, I- like, India being the willing sacrifice. Right. Like, India wanting to join Britain. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and I was so frustrated with India. And, and of course, um, Jules Van has never, never went to India at yeah. all. So he was... So much of the rest of um, around the world in 80 Days is incredibly accurate. but when it comes to India, he just makes stuff up. Like he's just wholesale, just making stuff up, like even more so than like twenty thousand leagues under the sea. right? <laughs> okay. I mean, he's invent. you know so so there is so for me, there was a the character of Aada, this this victim, mm-hmm. this person who had no agency. Whose entire role in the book was to essentially like love the the oppressor, right? right. And and I wanted to, and like she was my way into eighty days, and I, I wanted to be like, what is a story? How can we make a game that has a structure in which Alda is has power, has agency, has a story of her own, and is amazing? And and I think that was that was I think that was kind of the guiding principle, right? You know, and, and really counterintuitively, so much of 80 Days is about not doing anything at all. Re- you know, really speaking, in the traditional like game sense, you are not saving the world. You rarely start a revolution. You don't. You don't. You don't actually do very much. Like Passepartout encounters people. He joins people. He listens to them, but he's not saving. He's not really saving you. Right. And in fact, Outer rescues Fog and Passepartout in the book right in the in the in the, in the
1: game, the game. Yes, yeah i remember her i remember oh, yeah? yeah i encountered her on the way through india and, <laughs> Yeah. yeah i'm trying to remember it's been a couple of years yeah, of but I feel like you know we were trekking our way across india and she was, she yeah. was the leader of something right yeah she
0: she's like the leader of like um, a band of indian rebels who are fighting against the british um, and I think it's sort of mildly implied that she might've murdered her husband <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and like basically is sort of almost like, you know, taken his resources and is like, yeah. and, and is reading, leading this band of rebels in the jungle. Right. And she, she basically kidnaps, abducts you right. as you're trekking across India. Cause of course this happens in the book as well, but the whole, I, the Indian railway is a lie, right? Okay. Like so it actually only goes from Bombay to Ahmedabad. And then he has to travel by elephant the rest okay, of the way. Right, yeah. So, you know, the whole, the, the, the very thing that spurred him to to take on this adventure didn't exist in the first place. Right. And, and of course, I we have mechanical it, elephants. I think I one. definitely
1: remember that it seemed to take a long time. To get yeah,
0: internet, it really, it like, really is. Oh,
1: really bogged it's, down here.
0: It's, and... what, it's one of those fun moments <laughs> where like, I think I was like, that is that's really kind of there if, if you've read the book right. that is a thing that you will know <laughs> right but but I think that was the thing is it was going to be super slow so we wanted to give you this like elaborate fun story of like abduction and possible romance and and I think you know you as Passport 2 can can watch either jealously or right, like sure. or like with intrigue as fog sort of you know goes off and possibly has an affair with Alda and uh, but you know, but then she has to, she, you know, she has she has a job to do. Like there is no way she's going to come with you. Yes, she's just like, well, okay, thanks for all that. Like, right. see you so later. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. it's kind of heavily implied that that fog, um, you know, fog charms her into letting you go. Yeah. Uh, but you know, that's it. Like, you know, she leaves mm. you with a kiss, and she's off to like. Free India, like yeah. she's got well, stuff going on.
1: Yeah, that's cool. That's uh, I mean, it's hard, to, it's hard to know how to communicate that, but that would have been very meaningful if I had, if I'd read the book.
0: Yeah, like, I had yeah, yeah. the
1: book, so I didn't know that happened at
0: all.
1: Um, so. Yeah,
0: I mean, there's a bunch of there's a bunch of there's like a lo- loads of little Easter eggs for people who have read yeah. that book or any of Vern's other books. Like, uh, you can actually meet Captain Nemo yeah. from Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. Um, like, you know, he's off the coast of Africa. I'm Not giving it. Okay. Like John, John Ingold put so much of the fear of God into me about like <laughs> revealing spoilers. Because <laughs> like, I was always like, it doesn't really matter. There's so much. And he's like, no, Meg, there are secrets. Yeah. Uh, but now it's been four years. It's been I think a while. Can... Actually, so
1: let's back up now yeah, and talk sorry. about how you got involved with the project. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, you know, the game came out, or you, you know, you you released your third month, and yeah. Were well, people yeah. So I,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I won the world of the season competition, which was super nice. You won the um, what? The, I, I this won was, the one the... with
1: Laidlaw yeah, 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 yeah.
0: And and all of them like wrote me like several paragraphs of like amazing feedback, and oh, that's great. And it was just it was really what it was did really they,
1: what did they say? Like, do you remember anything? But... Yeah,
0: I mean they they said very nice things. They sure. think they said you know I think they were like really complimentary and. Uh, uh you know and and it, it meant that also like fail better was was talking about it too um and I and so I uh and I I knew John and Joe a little bit because mm-hmm. um you know there was a series of like transmedia meetups being yeah. run and I was there as part of the BBC um and you know and and I I think my very first conversation with John I must have just fangirled out about all roads sure, to him right um And yeah, and and then he played Samsara, and actually we got in touch because I, Sorcery, either one or Sorcery wanted to come out, right? And I was playing it and noticed how incredible their procedural fight system was. Do you know if you're like you know? And and I was just like, this is insane. Like to me, I was like. This is an insane act.
1: Yeah, and and Did you so mean like the story it would build as you went along, or just yeah, the whole no, no. Gameplay so there's itself? like
0: the, just the gameplay of the fights, right? Like it is, it is it is completely procedural. Like it is so much more complex, complicated than it, yeah, than it needs. Oh, that, or that I think uh, than a lot of people realize. But like it you know, like, there's, a you can, you can sort of take these gradual steps forward and backwards, and then you're, you you can, like, thrust or parry, and you, you, you know, and there are these kind of procedural actions that you take, and then there's a, a huge amount of variability in terms of, like, how your opponent responds, yeah. and kind of what you do, and your success and failure, and, and I remember, like, writing this email to John going, like, this is, in, <laughs> this is insane, and, like, this is amazing, and, like, how the hell did you do this, right. and why, right. and, like, you know, but also, like, I, I don't mean why in a, like, I mean, like, like that. That's John. And yeah. Well, Joel, it's
1: it's interesting. That's an interesting system because I actually think that if it wasn't for one thing, I would have a lot of problems with it game design mm-hmm. wise. Mm-hmm. Game design wise, because it's a very prototypical black box mm-hmm. mechanic yeah. where you know you can kind of sense what's going on, but not really, mm-hmm. and sometimes. You know those little differences makes a huge like you say it's high variance. Yeah. But the super important thing they did is when they got to the end, they're like, if you didn't like the result, do it again. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. And when you when you when you like integrate that into the system, you then have the ability to be like, you know what, we're gonna do this crazy thing. Yeah. And it's gonna be all right. It's not gonna sink the game because we're giving the player an out.
0: Right. 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 And and it's just and it's yeah exactly. You're doing that. It's crazy responsive. And there's also an extent to which like the only way to get better at it was by reading. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you had to, you had to start actually, cause it was, you had to start like reading the sentences and going, okay, this is the body language of this person. Like, are mm-hmm. they going to attack me next? Are they tensing up? You know? And so it was, it was this kind of wonderful, for me, confluence of uh, like choice, like reading is, is how you learn how to play the game. Like yeah. that it's mechanical in that sense. And, and so I wrote him this long like email about that. And he wrote back to me and kind of said, you know, like not many people like no one had talked to him about <laughs> that thing before. And he was like, "Huh, it's so interesting that you know that." And also, and you know, thank you. But and then, um, and then he, and you know, I think we just emailed back and forth. And mm-hmm. then they asked me to come meet them. Mm-hmm. And so they had a game that they were really interested in. And, and John had played Samsara. Yep. And I think. And I remember, I remember being so incredibly flattered because he was like, you know, that the the, the day-night cycle, or, or rather the wake dream, uh-huh. was a really clever design concept. And I remember him kind of going, and you know that he often felt fatigued with with other kind of story story nexus kind of games, and 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 he was, you know, and he, he talked about he talked about the design of something that I <laughs> that yeah. I had made, which was you know amazing, and uh, and it also happened to be historical Mm -hmm. and fantastical uh and they wanted to make 80 days but they john hated and john you know writes uh, writes most of it and Mm -hmm. but he hated hated historical research okay and he didn't want to do it (laughs) and so this is i think the first time that they'd they'd worked with someone externally Uh because till then they only worked you know they did all of it in-house um, and I think, and so I, I think they were like, okay, this is someone who has like some design ideas, like some idea of like, uh, I can write and, and is doing exactly the sort of thing we want. So I went away and I wrote a, um, I wrote a, uh, um, a writing test for them mm-hmm. in, um, in Inkle Writer okay. like, um, on the browser. And I remember I wrote, I wrote Egypt and I wrote, um, I wrote a mechanical camel race. Okay. Uh, and, and and in fact, I think there probably there still is most of that still in the game and and I remember right. them yeah, like in some version,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I also wrote it in second person and I wrote it in a much more traditional form in that like there was a lot more text and then choices as opposed to like um you know sentence fragments and and then you make your choices and then the text the the then the paragraph fills in right. you know that's the much more traditional way, which you know, and, and I hadn't really... See, and it was really John who, who wanted to do it in this completely different way. John and Joe who wanted to do it in this completely different way. But yeah, so I, I wrote that uh, and then I wrote like an airship journey um, in Bai, I think. And yeah, and then... Um, and yeah, but it was a Mechanical Camels. And I remember, I remember like, I think our next one was... They got... They like emailed me back like maybe the next day or like within the same day and they're like, okay, Mechanical Camels, great,
1: right. done.
0: Like, and I think... And I think they, they knew they knew did, that they wanted to make this game. But did
1: you know they wanted to do like kind of like the weird? Yeah. So I, eat, I, I, I knew they
0: wanted it to be steampunk, and that was for a very like <laughs> very technical but like boring reason. In that um, we wanted to be able to go around the world multiple ways, uh-huh. and with the technology of the time, you really couldn't do that. And so we we kind of needed to invent other technologies to even make it plausible to do so, yeah. right? So, but but um, you know, so they knew it wanted to be steampunk. Uh, they knew that Passport Two was going to be the main character rather than Fog, which I think is is just is hugely important. Yeah, it's an
1: amazing decision.
0: Yeah, it would not have worked with Fog because Fog has no curiosity, and curiosity mm-hmm. is just such an. It's so necessary to to the world, like. It's why the, the novel is really interesting because it's incredibly wry and and there's a running joke about how Fogg is completely uninterested in any of these cultures and wonderful places and amazing sights that he oh, sees. That's, that's
1: in the novel. That's in the novel. Itself, so he he he's literally, aware
0: of that? yeah, yeah. All he huh. wants is his roast beef and his press newspaper, and he just does not. He doesn't care. He's literally ignoring the world as it walks by because that is the quintessentially. Englishman thing to So, so
1: Verne's being critical of like yeah yeah yes the British absolutely. Sense, I yeah,
0: right. I mean he is. So Van is Van is for his time. I mean, I, and I think that's why it made sense for us so much sense for us to make it a such an anti-colonial project because while you know Van was very much critical of colonialism in his time, Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea is an extremely anti-colonial book. Like that's the entire point. Like Nemo is. Nemo is disgusted with the British Empire and the way it treats his people and and goes rogue. Right. You know, and obviously there are limitations. This is written in the Victorian era. So if you know, yeah. we're honoring the spirit of it yeah. rather than the specificity of it. Yeah. Um but yeah, I I mean so kind of going going back to to starting on 80 days what really happened was and then I and then basically so I started on the project and then I just started writing a bunch of text and I I actually think it was from the writing sample I think previously they'd imagined it to contain a lot less text and even when we went in when when we started the idea was to write a small like uh you know it was it was going to be pretty much one way around the world and a few little diversions right it was going to be pretty small and and the idea was that we'd fill in a lot of extra stuff with procedural procedural content um and very very quickly we realized that that was that was not not interesting yeah not the way to go like the world needed to feel populated Uh and eventually like john and joe started talking about it more as like a board game so that any any square that you landed on or any city that you landed on you should be able to like move in any kind of direction
3: right
0: so it went from okay let's maybe write 20 cities and you know 50 journeys to like what is in the game, which is something like 150 cities. Like it is, it's, it's just sort of enormous. And I, I, you know, we certainly uh, had no idea about the scope of it going in, but also I think it was that they wanted that, that initially they had thought of it as, as having a lot less text than it did. And, and, and just being, you know, just, you get a little bit of like a couple of lines of flavor text and two, three choices. And, and I think the, the, the sort of huge involved writing sample that I did for them, um, they only told me about this much later, but they went back and like rethought the design and were like, okay, like actually we want a lot more text in this game. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this is, this is, this could be actually really joyful and right. and really, really interesting. Um, and like, and that, that kind of marked the nature of our collaboration. I think like they always invited me into those kinds of discussions and we were on hip chat at the time, mm-hmm. you know, the precursor to Slack and. Uh, But, you know, but we, yeah, so there, there was a lot of, um, a a lot of, um, feeding back and forth between like the writing process and, and the design process and art and all of these other things.
1: Right. Okay. Um, wow. So it sounds like there was, this had like a lot of scope creep.
0: Oh my God. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Like, I mean, again, it was meant to be this, it was meant to be this like quick thing that we just did in a few months right um you know and then they move on to sorcery 2 which you know if you've played sorcery 2 is like an enormous and enormously complicated yeah. creation yeah absolutely so so you know I was kind of meant to be this was meant to be the side project that they were doing and and I would be writing you know doing most of the writing and and John would get to focus on sorcery 2 um and as it happened <laughs> sorcery 2 got delayed <laughs> and uh and and 80 days became like I think we must have spent a year and a half working on it and okay. i think initially it was planned to be like maybe four or six months wow. okay. and and also uh the idea of procedural content was one that we really threw out because mm. it, it very quickly became obvious that that writing like a generic african journey just very quickly became incredibly stereotypical and and racist and, and just didn't really work and it was in the specificity that it that it worked which kind of also meant that like it became an instead of so so really we decided what cities to put on the map initially by literally just opened up Google Maps <laughs> and just started put, dropping pins yeah and like all three of us me John and Joe we just drop pins and like wherever we thought was interesting and like we'd maybe make one scribbled note like hey okay I think something like this is going on here or like this is right. maybe interesting or hey like my my wife comes from here right. or like you know hey my cousin's uncle like knows someone who lives here
1: okay yeah. that's true. because definitely playing the game gave me a sense of like geographic shame uh, shame's not the right word but like <laughs> yeah. it was the word ignorance like I'm like yeah. I'm like wow I guess I didn't know the world nearly as much as I thought I did yeah
0: um, yeah I mean the thing is and the thing is it's like it's so easily cumulative right so like once you write you know, okay right okay Istanbul that's something interesting that's going to be true. happening in Istanbul at the time once you write Istanbul you're like okay where can you go from Istanbul <laughs> right. and so you just start filling things in so we didn't do things we didn't do, like do things latitudinally or right. longitudinally we, we literally just sort of filled in bits and pieces as we went. And and so it was actually a really great writing process because it's like if you got sick of writing, like, you know, I don't know, if you got sick of writing Egypt, you could literally just hop over to the other side of the world where there are completely different concerns and write something completely different.
1: Right, right. Okay. Um, so what did you what did you learn during the process? Like, what were you doing early on? You know, you were trying, or maybe it just started working, but like, mm-hmm. I, guess what, I guess what I'm trying to get at is, um, you know, often when you make a game, you kind of makes and it works you make some there's some sort of like design revelation <laughs> yeah. right so like what did you learn as you went along you know putting this game together
0: man i mean what i really learned was that you the moment that you feel like you know how to make a game is usually when it's done <laughs> like and you sort of and i i remember i remember finishing it and just being like why did i didn't i know all of this when i began yeah you know, and, and I, and I could still very much see the content I'd written at the start. And to me, it was so terrible and so obvious, but, uh, I've, but I, but I, don't think it is obvious to other people. Yeah.
1: So what are the, not you know, so, what are the non-obvious I mean, things? Like I what was well, bad about the early stuff? What was I mean, good so about A,
0: I was writing it, you know, cause I, I had to learn how to write in ink Sure. and that was really my first few months. So, so the, the initial content that I wrote was, was, you know, kind of using the more basic format. Like I wasn't yeah. using weaves, um, but weirdly, I was trying to do some weird and interesting, and and you know like, you gain a facility with. So a, I I knew how the 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 length that we needed that we needed to hit, and I just sort of did that naturally. I just sort of naturally writing the amount of text that you would want. So I think it's something like between, uh, forty and sixty words between any choice right. on average. Right. So like you know, a little over a tweet length, yeah. right? And I, and I just started writing in those discrete chunks because I, I started thinking in those chunks. And what I found was I was able to make jokes. Like I started making jokes that had sentence fragments in. Um, you know, it just became, I think, I, you know, I, I'll be honest with you. I think I learned a lot more about even my own process after the game came out and after people started playing it and talking about it
4: mm-hmm. and
0: writing about it. Um, you know, and and like certain critics, I mm-hmm. think stand out in my mind as almost, uh, you know, I got to, I almost recognized what I was doing in hindsight. Okay, because I think I went in. What I went in with was definitely a an a sense of that that i didn't want this to be a story about white saviors sure. that i didn't want this to be a story that i i wanted to decenter the player that i i i wanted you to be clear that you were a tourist and and you know those those are kind of i guess aesthetic a- aesthetic concerns right and and i think only in hindsight did i realize how those translated into 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 design thinking like that is that is design thinking really because you kind of have to re rethink even just the idea of what it means to be a, prota- a protagonist.
3: Right.
0: Like, you know, is, is there something... At, oh, or the idea of empowerment, right? Mm. Like, you know, that is it interesting... I guess it never even occurred to me to ask the question of, is it interesting to not save the world?
1: Okay.
0: I think I, I think it, it never occurred to me that, it, that that would be the only way for something to be interesting. And in some ways, there was a kind of na- naivete to that that I think was necessary to, to doing what we did. And and I you know, I and I, I don't I, I think that like those it was about what I wanted to convey to the player and a lot of what I didn't want to do that I went in thinking. And and a lot of that translated into like design rules that I now recognize in hindsight or I recognize through thinking about it from the writings of other people, I think. Okay. Like um
1: So what are those what are those rules? Are
0: they... You know, I mean I think, gosh. I think it, the, one of the I think one of the ideas is basically that it is it is it is interesting. Other people are interesting,
2: yeah. And
0: it's a I think it's a weird like it sounds really simple, but I think that is a thought that that most games are are afraid of, and I think there is such a fear of. Everything in, in in so much of video games and mainstream video games, I think, is is a is a, is a power fantasy for the player, and is about yourself, and is about the idea that like, well, it's only going to be interesting if it's if it's something that's you're doing right. or that happens to you, but that's I but I don't I don't think that's how stories work. Yeah. Right, and and I think you know like even ha- the idea of that having an opinion about what is happening to someone else can itself be a valid choice yeah like a lot of a lot of the choices in the game are what would traditionally be called i guess fluff fluff choices right they don't really have any mechanical impact um i think also a lot of what we learned was about like opaqueness and unfairness um and i think you know a lot of that we kind of felt out uh you know but i think i think there are times where we are incredibly unfair to the player and we get away with it because we give them a a, a feeling of ownership over their choices and one of john's one of john's like con, like constant refrains and his design principles was always that it's so much more interesting to make a series of small choices than it is to make one big choice
3: okay
0: and i think that's really true and i think he often he said he i remember him saying to me that and we're talking about this actually. That character is is not based on like a big moment. Like character is something that is accreted, Build up over time. I mean, that you have that up over time.
1: concept, right? Like there's that matrix you guys mm-hmm. have where you the character is kind of slowly,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I guess, is what his opinion of you kind of like or right. changes so, slowly over time. Yeah,
0: like... yeah. So, so actually, we only have like three global variables in the right. whole game, right? Uh-huh. And there's like this. I think John sort of shows off this this little. Um, chart of, like, the um, the com- the combinations. And then yeah. we tell the player, oh, you're now, like, suave or you're yeah. zestful. But yep. zestful means that you have, like, high style and, like, low, you know. And, and actually, so the three variables are really are, um, your relationship to fog. Yeah. And that models your how you feel about fog and how fog feels about okay. you. Uh, which sounds counterintuitive but actually makes a lot of sense because, frankly, if you dislike fog he's going to dislike you. And it makes sense that he responds in that way or if you know, yeah, absolutely. So, and then there's your skill as a valet. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's style, which essentially is like flamboyant. It's it. And that, and, and it's, and they're very, they're loose. They're not, they're not, you know, they're not perfectly systemic. There are ways in which I use, I give people points for style, you know, in in a, in a variety of different ways, and that's and that is hidden from the player. And I know and I know that that is one of the areas that some people have found frustrating about the game. Yeah, I think it's a design choice that 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 I stand by, and I think I think John and Joe would as well, because I think that the advantages of hiding that from the player massively outweigh the disadvantages. And the advantage of hiding that is that there's no opportunity to kind of min max. Right. And but but in so. In eighty days, if you if you don't qualify for a choice, uh-huh. you don't see it grayed out. It's just invisible to you. Okay. And keep...
1: I say. I, I you know I can see like my I, I remember like oh you're now zestful and I was one of the problems is I, I don't really I can't really yeah. explain after I played so, like, what difference it made whether I was absolutely zestful or not.
0: right and I think I think it's ornamental like I don't know so that I think John so John is very much the person who was giving you that feedback and I think I think that also came from you know they'd made frankenstein recently mm. and and one of the things one of the issues was that people didn't recognize how massively branching it was right and and i think a lot of the design of 80 days and, and the reason why they they chose 80 days was because it, it, a lot of the the paradigms involved demonstrate to the player that choices are being made like the map right so Mm -hmm. the map is 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 just straightforwardly you can see like if i went here then i didn't go here and here right and and that just so so that idea so the player knows that that their choices are being reflected and they're getting content based on that and that's hugely powerful and you need to do that you know and and i think that is that and the, the 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 fact of having the map i think is really what allowed us to be so opaque in many of the other choices uh, and to not highlight them. So there's a huge amount of conditionality that happens behind the scenes that that you, you don't even know is happening. So Fogg's relationship to you and, and that variable is usually really used to just vary sentences. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, so the, there's the general structure of, you know, okay, you go into a city, you go explore you do some stuff and then you come back and there's fog reading the newspaper and, and he like glances up at you or makes a right remark. And all it changes is maybe like 10, five, six words here. Like, you know, maybe fog frowns rather than smirks at you or, you know, fog makes a, a a mean comment rather than a particularly nice one but we you don't you don't even see the player doesn't yeah. know that that is, yeah, that the, is There's an
1: interesting kind of sidebar here mm-hmm. which is I know a little bit about how ink works yeah I've been to some of their talks and I think it's worth noting that your design choice here is very much enabled. Or inspired by the way your tool works, yes, right? Because that's something that's very easy to do in Ink, mm-hmm. and a lot of a lot of games that have you know narrative and text and events and choices, yeah. it's not necess- they don't necessarily have an engine, yeah. which makes it that easy. no,
0: absolutely, and and John and John designed it for exactly this kind of thing. Like this right. is the distillation of John's John's design thinking right. in a script format, you yeah. know, um, and and it does what it does incredibly well. And a lot of what it does is, is impossible to do in right. any other system. Like, cause it's so lightweight to make, to do this kind of conditionality. Right. Um, uh, it also makes it impossible to localize. Yes. Um, right. you know, though, though I know that with Heaven's Vault there, are certainly, you know, I, I, you know, they're, they're, they're doing some interesting things right. to, to make it plausible. Okay. Um, you know, but I mean, essentially, one of the issues is that um, you know grammar works very differently yep. <laughs> in different languages, yep. uh, and so when you when you're dealing with sentence fragments, that just, just makes it yeah, yeah. impossible. It's, but
1: I totally see that. Yeah,
0: um, so. right. Like is and isn't is something that like I we, I can literally just put a bracket around yep. it and just just be like okay, and then if Fog doesn't like you, he isn't pleased. Yes, rather than yep. it's please, he is pleased, right? Yeah. Uh, which is yeah, which you can't really localize. Yep. but Yeah. Um, um,
1: so some of these, so you're saying, you mm-hmm. know, some of these factors, some of these, the the, the three variables, you know, yeah. like some would just change a few words here and there, mm-hmm. but then some of them would lock off entire options, Absolutely. which would lock off presumably entire event chains. Is that right?
0: Uh, no. So very, re- like, I guess. I guess very very rarely are you locking off. I mean, you know, obviously huge adventure. So there there's also like a there are seeds that each mm-hmm. game is randomly assigned. Yeah. Which which decide that that some journeys are available and some not.
1: Okay.
0: Um. You know, so so different like some se-
1: pathways. Yeah. Absolutely. Literally like pathways.
0: literally, some some journeys like uh. You know, we turn off and on journeys. Okay.
1: Okay.
0: So there's there's like a huge amount of, of variability just on that front. Okay. Um. You know, what's available in the marketplace changes. Yeah um so at the level of an individual choice i mean you know remember you're making you're making like thousands of choices during this game so the idea of like you don't get to see one choice or you don't get to have one option is a little bit like so what you know so so there's like an enormous (laughs) enormous freedom there and and it is it is it is not it is not systemic like there we don't i didn't count up the number of times I, I made a skill check on a certain variable or a quality, and make right. sure to do that to do that Balanced an equal or amount. Whatever, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's 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 an enormous it's it's an enormous act of balance. Right. The game, but not, uh, you know, it did like those skill checks didn't have to balance. So, like
1: the... but if um, so if options disappear, mm-hmm. but those don't necessarily cut off a lot of event chains. Mm-hmm. Does that mean? I mean, I think they do, but yeah.
0: They, you know. Okay, yeah,
1: so but they do. Yeah. But I guess I'm trying to try to figure out: like, is it not as impactful as I thought it was, was going to be, or is it actually impactful? And um, in which case, there's a bigger debate to have about like transparency. Well, so so
0: it's both. So it what it is is it's it's extremely opaque. Like it's 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 yeah. it's in, it's almost entirely opaque. What the thing, the one thing that isn't opaque is what city you get to go to next or where you want to go, okay. right? Um, so you have like a the um. So you, you you have a lot of uh, a lot of choices that are not blind, but what might happen to you might be. but so the thing is it is imp- so the whole aim the aim of it it was written to be impossible to kind of to, to min max because part of our design goals were to give players an experience of, of surprise and delight and to create serendipity. Okay. And serendipity is something that that you you cannot experience if you're planning like we wanted the experience of you know when you if you set off on a on a grand adventure Mm -hmm. yeah you've got a plan but it's where you veer off the plan that the the fun happens and the joy happens and so in some ways you know you're fighting the player's instincts to systematize to plan ahead to to make certain moves in a certain order uh and i think especially with kind of you know players today especially with like walkthroughs and things like that available if if you don't specifically designed to stymie that instinct mm-hmm. that is going to happen. And I, I have a huge amount of, of, of sympathy for that. Like, So when I play Dragon Age games, I play it with the walkthrough open. Right. And I and I don't think it makes it a worse game yeah. at all. But also, you know, a Dragon Age game is like a 70-hour commitment. Yes. You know, making a wrong choice there, or, you know, if, if I could make one choice and then not get to have a romance with the character that yeah. I want, that's super frustrating. Whereas 80 Days is a two-hour experience. Yeah. And, you know, there are no characters that really stick around for more than a few journeys or a few cities or a few days. Mm-hmm. And even those are very rare and few and far between. So there's less frustration for the player if, if something doesn't work out the way they want to. Yeah. It's it's you know, it's it's all right. Because yeah. there'll be another thing coming in a second.
1: Yeah. So I mean I definitely remember like, you know, going on, you know, one of the train mm-hmm. long train travelers passages yeah. and, those, like, I those need character and then something happened because Yeah. Uh, they were hard to write because
0: oh they were they were enormously hard to write because they're they you know so so much of it is okay you're in the city you're out okay yeah. great so we don't really have to remember like a huge amount of what you did we don't have to find like this so and and I can branch massively okay here we are we're in we're in um, Isfahan yeah. Okay, did I go to the marketplace and look at the artificers creating automaton shards or did I go and visit uh you know the Shah's palace yeah. and go and get uh, entangled with the palace guard and get thrown in jail? Yeah. And you know and uh, and then we just we keep going then that, you know, you get into the next city, you go into the next journey like that might change what options that you, you can do. But whereas when when you're on a when you're on a long train journey or when you're on a long boat journey, I'm thinking of the the Pacific crossing. God damn that Pacific crossing, <laughs> which is also why like a lot of those big journeys are opportunities to do something a little bit more gamey. Right. Yeah. Um, because that it you know, if you branch massively on day one. Like what, what story are you telling? Right. And I'm, I, you know, I'm not in the business of writing a completely separate piece of content. It, you know, for like, you, you, you just get into combinatorial explosion at that point. Right. So, so how do you write something that feels like the player has agency is doing stuff, things are changing. Like I'm, I'm exploring. And then the next day, you know, it takes into account and is responsive to all of those choices you made but without meaning that I have to write double the amount the next day and then double the amount the day after. Right. And that's you know that that it, that was that was tough. That's yeah. that's hard to do, and it it means it it limits just how wild you can be, right? I mean, because the great thing about text is that yeah, I can just I'm like okay, yeah, here's here's there's the huge there's a huge market. I, we can do two massively different things. Yeah. Um. So so a lot of those we really solved by doing. Uh, so I mean, there's the Arctic journey, which is okay. which is like a a, a linear journey essentially yeah. once you begin, and I think it's something like twenty eight days. Yeah, I depending. died on it. I didn't
1: make it through.
2: Did you
0: die? Yeah. Excellent. So
1: I froze or something.
2: Uh,
0: yeah, you froze to death. I'm so sorry, <laughs> <laughs> but um, that that contains one of my favorite bits of of writing in the game, like. Um, Passepartout, like leaving the journal on mm. fogs. icy grave mm. and and like wandering off into the wilderness. Particularly if you like, if you as Passepartout you fancied fog, yes, it's very it's very heartbreaking. <laughs> uh, like I'm very proud. Like John told me that he teared up during that <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> during, when he when I um, when I checked in that yeah. that script, which is great. But again, so the Aussie journey is is is, is like it's super gamey. Yeah. As is the so I'm I'm thinking about like the Pacific the crossing, crossing that has the yeah. mutiny.
1: Yes, I did that twice and so I kinda saw yeah, like, yeah, oh okay, I see that this is this feels very different from the rest of the game. Because but yeah. I when I first brought up the train journey because I feel like I went on at least one train journey where like I got the first couple steps of an event chain and mm-hmm. then it just disappeared.
0: Yeah, so that like, that's probably hmm. a John Ingold special. He right. loves so this this <laughs> is he he's a cruel man. Okay. And he love and and he enjoys being kind of cruel so that I so is what, that
1: like the thing like if i was steadfast i would have been able to like oh yeah
0: yeah continue? so yeah i think you're talking about um goland the princess yes. the mongolian princess Sounds who's mathematical
1: maybe but yeah so, yeah and then someone you, on the trans-siberian railroad
0: right yes yeah okay. yeah so that's her and you can follow her to erga and mm-hmm. then like dem- like camp out in front of her uh palace or whatever and demand to be seen and then yeah. you can have a tearful goodbye and then you can have like a brief sort of kiss I think you wouldn't have like a brief kiss on the Trans-Siberian yeah. like when you pause somewhere and then so I wrote her on the Trans-Siberian yeah. and John fell in love with her because he used to teach mathematics okay yes yep yeah. And and so he loved the idea of this mathematical princess, and then just wrote this whole romance. And so, like you know, and and, and I think also he felt like um, there needed to be a, a heterosexual romance Somewhere. to to match the, <laughs> all of the all of the gay romances I was writing. So uh, yeah, so that was yeah. So I yeah that was all John, and and John loves loves. Uh, you know, I think it, it comes from that positive background as well, right? Like yeah. the idea of having every little piece in order. And but the, kind of, the
1: reason it disappeared would have been because you
0: made you made some series of choices, probably not just one, right. but like a series. Like, and almost nothing happens because of like one moment. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and and the truth of it is that there are always ways to to escape. Like, I think that was. I think that is the real design lesson we realize you can be as unfair to the player as possible even if they as long as they feel as though if they were smart enough mm-hmm. they could have avoided this bad consequence yeah. and it's the logic of the casino mm-hmm. right you know the house always wins, and we know that. And in fact, that is what drives you to go back. It makes <laughs> it makes you feel so clever when you win, and you always think, "Now this time I'll get him," yeah. and you never will. Like you won't, like that's that's the, kind of the whole point. And and if, you know it's the logic of the casino, but our our goal is to give you a good story rather yeah. than take all of your money.
1: Well, I can definitely tell on the Pacific the Pacific journey. I could tell like okay, this is like a different experience the rest mm-hmm. of the game because I'm not going to fall off this event chain right Right, like you've put me I'm on yeah I'm on the well, right well but I'm you can actually the...
0: be diverted right because like if your mutiny fails you get deposited in Hawaii right and well, then have to find a way for it there, <laughs> right. there's going to be but some yes. sort yeah, of yeah.
1: resolution exactly yeah um, exactly and so like it kind of was like in a different category from a lot of the rest of the game yeah. which was like stuff just kind of happens and like yeah, yeah it might fit together or it might absolutely
0: not. yeah and the Arctic I think I think the Arctic was probably a an expansion of some of those ideas yes. Uh, that I was playing with, and it's very much a kind of tr- is is drawn from. I was really inspired by a choice of games, actually, mm-hmm. in, in that sense. Like uh, a lot of the ideas of like okay, thinking about like factions, uh, factions kind of giving you points and and qualifying you for certain events, right? Uh, you know, uh, and kind of engendering results. And and they did a, a lot more of those kind of long, long chains of events. R- where they were giving you a lot of feedback and your actions clearly had impact and consequences. And and we wanted to show that to you because so much of 80 days is, 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 is kind of, it's not about dwelling on the idea of like, I need, I need to be able to survive. Right. Whereas in the Arctic, you've got, there is, there is a, a specific, like we are giving the player the sense of, no, you, you need to work out a way to survive here. Your actions are going to mean the difference between surviving or not. It's the only place in the game where you can die as well.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I was surprised. I was like, "Wait." Well, we what? added that
0: I, later. Dead, that was a, That was that was our that was our Christmas DLC <laughs> yeah, after we yeah. released.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. <I know. laughs> the I'm possibility right. of death in the Arctic. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's something for a game to introduce in DLC. Um, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, it was really it was that was really fun. I think we went back and forth, and like finally we were just like, "Okay, right then." Yeah. And that remains the only place that you can die.
1: Yeah. So the yeah. um, so, but you made a really important point. Okay. Which was mm-hmm. that. This the scale of the game affects yes. how you can make it. Yes, right? absolutely. Like, because you couldn't, you yeah, you could not do this in a seventy-hour game. Yeah, and you totally can't do it in a two-hour game. So, like, yes. it fundamentally changes the design space. Yes,
0: yeah, completely. You know, and it's it's an it it gives you this enormous opportunity to play with. Um, but a lot of the lessons yeah, the, you can't, you, you, you can't draw these lessons and like apply them across the board yeah. Certainly, Like, you know,
1: so how much do players, like, I mean, is there a certain community that just reverse engineers the whole thing and is like plotted it all out?
0: Yeah. It's like, there's some forums, there's, there's like some walkthroughs, but even then, so, uh, I talk about this a reasonable amount, like one of the, one of the comments on one of the forums was, um, talking about the, there's, there's a Murray girl that you encounter in, in, in Australia and um she's very angry about the way her people have been treated and she's she wants to write a letter to the to the local newspaper but they won't um they won't accept her letter because she's not white and uh you know you can kind of convince her to like give you uh you, oh no so like you and you can't the thing is and then you go on this sort of massive quest and you think, oh, maybe I'll just sort of do this for her. And, and one of the questions of the forum is like, how do I get the Mari girl to trust me? Mm-hmm. And then there's like a bunch of responses like, okay, maybe if you get the flag from here that shows that you're on the side of like colonized and oppressed peoples. And the truth is, there's no way. Okay. <laughs> you can't. And, and, and the that... game isn't, it's deliberate. And
1: What was, what was your intention there?
0: Because, because there, is, there is no way that you as an outsider and as a tourist... You, you aren't gonna be able to spend if you spend if okay if you stop the game and spend three months with her and convince her of your right, good intentions right, right. maybe you maybe, can help but, but also also you using your white privilege to like to overcome this barrier for her is is not really that's not really making the change that she wants to make right, right. like that is almost antithetical to the point of her writing this letter demanding her own rights like
1: so here's the tricky thing so mm-hmm. that's an entry you're essentially making an, an interesting criticism on the agency promise of yes. games
0: yes right? absolutely. Like,
1: you know, when you play a game, you kind of like, when it shows you a shiny object, mm-hmm. you feel like the game has made a promise to you that that object, somehow you can get to it. Absolutely.
0: Right? And I think this is the problem with, this is the problem about games. Like when your protagonist is in charge of fixing everything, then every problem in a game can be fixed by you. Yeah, And when when the theme of your game is racism, yeah. structural oppression, you know, sexism, it went, when, when the theme of your game is something structural, the idea that you can fix it doesn't exist. Yeah. So you can't, and that that kind of makes makes the whole premise of it kind of tremble, yeah, yeah. right? And I think people expect that. They yeah. expect if they're shown a problem, there is a problem in the world. I should be able to do something yeah, yeah. about this. And so, when those are intractable things, I think that's when eighty days gets most interesting.
1: Yeah. So it's the thing I think that's tricky about that is how do you communicate to the player at some level? Like, and by the way, also there is no, you know, like the only the only people really truly appreciate it or the people who tried to reverse engineer it and discovered well, that like... Well, you know,
0: I don't... But the thing is, I think... I think so there's...
1: I mean, hold on. Okay. Let me okay. back a little of... Because mm-hmm. actually, I don't think that's actually true because mm-hmm. I will say that I think it works in 80 days because yeah. you're consistent throughout the yes, whole game. exactly. Right, like that's the like, whole
0: point. of... Like, yeah. That's a lesson that we repeat over and like, over again. Even if it's not, if um, someone th- preached that,
1: yeah, if someone threw that into Bioware game, yeah, like you would, would be kind of like, what is this? This is, just seems weird, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and so speaking of which, I wanted to actually bring up some Bioware games. Yeah? it feels like a lot of 80 Days is essentially like a criticism of like the companion <laughs> oh, no! systems in Bioware games. I mean, it doesn't criticism doesn't mean like you're, yeah, yeah, you're yeah, gonna against it, um, but like um,
0: yeah. But, like,
1: the companions in Bioware game, like, they have their own lives, but they're still, their whole purpose is to help you do something.
0: Yeah, but I would, I'd honestly say, and, you know, my very first year, I uh, wrote a talk about 80 Days at GDC, and and one of the games that I bring up in it is Dragon Age 2, which specifically doesn't do that. Like, Dragon Age 2, I think, goes goes as far as, as almost, and, and further than most games do in terms of, um, making the non-player characters and the companion characters agents and and people of their own. So much of Dragon Age Two is about you responding to actions that are com- that are that are entirely outside of your control. Oh uh, yeah, just turn that off. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so much of Dragon Age. So the whole premise of Dragon Age. 2, so the main plot elements of Dragon Age Two are, 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 are so. Okay, so spoilers for people who haven't played Dragon Age 2, but, but one, of the, one of the large incidents in it, like the beginning of Act 3, is um, Anders, one of your companions who's a mage, who's really into mage rights, um, blows up the Chantry, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, which is the, the sort of church equivalent that he sees as oppressing mages. And there is no way to stop him from doing that. Yeah. Like, you can be suspicious of him. But even if you, even if you move him into your house even if you love him, even if he's your best friend, even if you've maxed out all of your, you know, likability meters, Anders still betrays you. You get to choose how you respond to that. But you don't, you know, you as the player are not central to that story. You're suddenly, Anders is like the protagonist of his own story. You happen to be there.
3: Right.
0: You know? And again, Isabella. Isabella betrays you. And and Isabella uh, actually has the Kunari. Um, you know um, whatchamacallit that um, you know the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. the MacGuffin right uh-huh. Isabella has the MacGuffin um, all along and and in fact like hides that from you and then like leaves the party like and betrays you
3: mm-hmm.
0: right I mean so and the, so that is mitigated a little bit by if you have a re- if you have a high enough um, affinity with her, she does come back, and you can allow her to rejoin the party. But there is no way to stop her from betraying you. Right. You know, which is which is unusual in games. So yeah. your companions lie to you. Yeah, I mean, and lying to you is something like that's again another jump thing people lie all the time in 80 yeah. days. And like I think lots of people are really surprised by that because they think, oh, if a character says something to me, they must be trying to help me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, no. because and, and it's a lot more fun as a result. But I think people have ended up in some weird places. But yeah, so the characters lie to you in Dragon Age. They have their own lives. They have their own reasons for doing things. And, and you are reacting to them. And the game is more interesting because of it. Yeah. You know, because reacting to something that somebody else is, whereas the usual paradigm of games is I do something and let me let and the world must reflect what I have done.
1: Sure, yeah, I mean that's that's the more that's the more typical way. companions yes. pro- and like Bioware is just like they're so easy to like think about because they made so many games like that. Yeah. But like that's been true just across. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's it's still kind of like the typical way to do things. Yeah, right. Yeah, and,
0: but it, but it, I, I I do think that Dragon Age Two is like is genuinely yeah. is kind of critiquing that model and breaking out of it and, and and more experimental than lots of people give it credit for. No,
1: well, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I mean, I haven't played Dragon Age Two. But I my what my memory of that is that was like one of the more contentious games they release where you know, it, like there's a certain group of people who are like, This is the best game they've ever yeah, made it because it started flowing it started, it did this unusual stuff with it. But of course also when you do that, there's another group who's who's like Frustrated this is not by the that. formula yeah. that we're using. I
0: mean to. I think I think there is more so it's also that I think there is like issues with the studio and I think they ran out of money yeah. and so Act 3 is extremely rushed and, yeah. and I, you know yeah. Yeah, I think very... it,
1: was, it was originally supposed to be an expansion pack so yeah. it's a whole bunch of stuff going right. on and, I mean, it, you know, and
0: and it's not you know it, it, it doesn't live up to the promise of the, the first two acts and, you know but it's it's also it's one of those things so that is the conventional wisdom about Dragon Age 2 and yet every time I've talked about it and mm-hmm. everyone I've spoken to about it, there is so much more love for that yeah, game yeah. and actually I think people look back and and, and the reason that, that people love it is because of the companion characters, yeah, and those are the most compelling ones in the game. Yeah, in, in in any of the Bioware games, I think yep. as a, as a group, uh, those are the best companion characters yep, in the yep. game. And you know, and and it's let it's let down by some of the other other sure. issues. I think.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, Eighty Days, you're squarely in that space. You know, mm-hmm. where like the people you you know the people clearly have their own lives. You know, right, like yes. They yeah, are yeah. not there for you. I mean, yeah. like you can't not you can't you play through 80 Days and not get that sense. This feeling,
0: yeah, right. absolutely. And it's still interesting, right? And I think that, to me, that was really important to convey, that this idea that, you know, you it, it can be interesting, we can have fun. Like, it can be this fun, rollicking adventure without doing everything, without without being the center of the world.
1: Yeah. All right, so I think there's two things more I want to ask mm-hmm. about 80 Days. One is, um, is there a specific storyline in it that you feel like is like emblematic of like the best your your ideal version of the game, like the thing that like you. Like
0: <laughs> no, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Leila, you don't have to close your because honestly, I really think that it's a single storyline is is so there's so many that you're you're all good. Um, I mean, I think the one there the the one that that I think is is sort of really interesting in design terms, and and actually I think highlight and I, I've talked about it before, but it's the the slave ship. Okay. So there's a moment in South America where you can choose to take a a slave a, sla- a slaver ship, uh-huh. and a slaver ship is slightly quicker to get across okay. the water to like um, I think you're trying to get to um, no- you know uh, n- northeast Africa, okay, uh, northwest Africa, um, uh, you know, and so uh, and the slaver ship is this slightly quicker option. Um, but that's further enough around the world that I feel like we've earned we, the player has understood the the, m- the morality of the game, mm-hmm. right? And so, and we, we do punish the player. So, if you take the slave ship and you get to your destination, you get there a day earlier, and everyone there saw you come in on the slave ship yeah. and thinks you're a terrible person and doesn't want to doesn't want to take you any further yeah, yeah. and and so the only way forward is to go on this the only people who only way forward out of this is to join a slave catching expedition wow. and you travel across to to Timbuktu uh-huh <laughs> literally to Timbuktu um you know and and it's it's like this it's i think it's like 10 days it's it's grueling it's horrible and it's and it is it is kind of it's really there for the kind of player who is who is playing completely strategically and ignoring the morality of the game, and asking them to engage with why why that is an immoral choice,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, and I initially wrote it, and and I very much wanted it to be a story of like you being exposed to the horror of, of like the of slave catching, which is essentially you know you go in and abduct people from their villages and then you imprison them. And take them and sell them at a slave market in Timbuktu. And this is something you have to witness. And, and these are the people that, you you know, are taking you across. And, and you ask questions about, like, what is the point of my journey? And, like, you know. Um, but I very much didn't want to give you the satisfaction of solving mm-hmm. slavery. I wanted you to look at it. And so I had a whole sequence where you just, you just watched as these slaves of caught and you couldn't do anything you couldn't make any choices and mm-hmm. and there are several days like and and i only really wrote like two or three lines of content for each of these days and it was like okay and then then the next day the next day and we, you just have to read this and it's just this, it's this this horror and there's you know it's almost like the end of apocalypse now or something and john i remember john coming back to me and was like you know no this is this isn't this isn't working uh and and his his point and i think you know and he was like we need to make we need to be making choices like you know I, you know you need to be able to do something about this this is you know you need to be able to engage with it in some way and and he made a really great point which was that if you don't the whole paradigm of the game is is making choices and if we if you're not making any choices people are going to skip over this text mm-hmm. and so if your aim is to make people is is to make someone engage, with what you're describing if they can just skip over it and if if they're they aren't given a mechanical reason to engage with it you you know you're letting them slip away Let them off the hook almost. absolutely and and you know and and as lofty as your your ideals are here that's that's not gonna it's it's just surely not gonna work because that that is there there's a tendency to skip and then so he was like i you know you we need to be able to do something here and i was like but actually but the whole point is you don't I don't want you to be able to do anything. So we came to actually what I think is a really great compromise. and, and I think actually'm I'm, I'm really proud of him and really works. and and so midway through, the, the slaves have been abducted, they're they're imprisoned, and they're looking at you, and there's a whole sequence where you 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 grab the gun from one of the guys or you grab you grab something in your inventory. And you you attack them and you free these slaves and and you know and and they're so grateful to you and you feel really great and it's and it's good and you've done something great and you can even possibly even kill the the slave catchers in an act of revenge or not and and I mean it's one of those so and and it turns out to be it is an imagining and then and passport to you, admits to you that, that this is he imagined it huh. afterwards okay and he says. And he basically says, I, I wish I could tell you that this is what happened. But instead, all I did was I watched as they were taken to the market yeah. and sold. And I continued on my way. And, you know, and, I, and, and I, I think, you know, obviously it's a game version of this is all a dream. It was yeah, all, sure. is a, yeah. But but it it, it works mm-hmm. because the player who is congratulating themselves for like <laughs> making all these right choices for like, okay, yeah, I get to do something about this. I'm going to be a hero. You, you you just pull that rug out from under them
3: mm-hmm.
0: you know and so i think that was one of the ways in which that that design that compromise between john's very very good point about the player needs to do something and engage with something and 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 mine which is also validive but the point is you you can't take any action that will make you feel good here yeah uh and we found a way to kind of make that work right
1: all right well let's so
0: really interesting. <laughs> yeah. I mean I think I think that I think that's probably so there's very few instances in eighty days where you can do something genuinely evil. Right. I think there's maybe three.
3: Right.
0: Probably three, four and it, and I suppose some, some people might count some other ones, sure, depending. Right. And I think that, that is that is one of them. And that is one of the few times in the game where the game clearly makes a moral judgment of you. Yeah. The, the player. Sure. And passport 2 as well. Yeah, um, yeah. you know. Uh and, you know, and I, and I think I stand by that. But I, I think, again, it's something that needs to be few and far between. It works because it's it's a very, it's a specific option. And it only trigger and again, it, it only triggers based, based on a previous choice that you made that right. was unforced. Like there were, uh, there are, I think there it would have been yeah. very different if the, you know, the slavership was the only option. And then we punished you for it. Right. You know, it, there's just a minor advantage to taking yeah. the slavery Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, especially interesting because it's just such a like one day earlier, right? Just like, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, Really? Really? Yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. All right. Uh, I also want to ask about this. Is almost a bit just for me because, mm-hmm. like, I, 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 kind of curious. I also interviewed John. Yeah. Um. Oh, and, did you? Yeah, I, I haven't.
0: Did. I haven't listened to that one. Uh, it's
1: not out yet. Oh, okay. Uh, it's um, in my giant stockpile yeah. of designers. Um, and uh, we had what I'll call a, a spirited
3: <laughs> I <could've> discussion.
1: <laughs> About the luggage system, because I have a strong opinion right. about the luggage system that it should not have been a real-time luggage management system. Yeah. And I, am I obviously, John disagrees. Right, Yeah, you know, he, he gave sort of an entire argument about, like, he wanted you to feel like you're rushing yes. to the, you know, you're rushing to the train, yeah. and like, oh, no, you missed it, and so on mm-hmm. and so forth. And I felt like that was at odds with what was actually interesting about 80 days. Yeah. And so I'm just curious like your thoughts about that side of the game.
0: You know <laughs> That's a, I think um I think John makes it really interesting. I think one of the best things we did was to make the the time doesn't pass when you're reading. Yes. I think that's really super important. And I
1: although like I'd say that the fact that that happens like um
0: makes you worry that it well, Yeah,
1: because it's it's like you have to almost explain that to someone. Like, okay, this game has two different modes, right? Like, when you're reading, yeah. there's no time. And when you're yeah. packing your luggage, there is time. Anyway, so, I
0: think, for me, like...
1: Oh, man, if the time was running when you are reading, yeah, no, the it, game would be horrible. So it would
0: be a terrible game. Yeah. So, I I hate missing transport. <laughs> I hate it. I can't describe to you how much I hate it. And I guess it's because I, I, I travel a lot. Sure. I do a lot of international travel. So, I I. I don't like that part of it, but then you know. But it makes sense, right? Like I think it is meant to be kind of frustrating at times. I find arranging luggage frustrating and no. difficult anyway. But okay, so but there are some interesting narrative possibilities that the luggage. But I, I, I think um, I think it's mean. I think it is mean mm-hmm. to make it to 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 have a countdown when you are rearranging luggage. No. You know, but John is mean. I kind of. <laughs> you know I, john is yeah. in a good way at
1: some point he just kind of admitted like yeah i i like you know i'm glad the player yeah didn't have a good experience <laughs> yeah. with that it was a bad experience And I'm like, I'm like okay i guess we're done with the discussion like we both we found common ground yeah.
0: right yeah um, and you know i mean i think i think there's some elements to which like the some of the frustrations of travel are are useful to have but also also I, I in its defense what i will say is it probably bothered you, Sarin, a lot more because you are a design mind, and mm. and and you were unable to leave it alone. <laughs> sure, <laughs> and you wanted to make it work. Right. Whereas you can actually pretty much play the game and ignore it almost right. entirely. Yeah, like if you don't like it, you can like you don't have to do the training.
3: Yeah,
0: you know, and you don't even have to really read. You know, the, like in a lot of the, like a lot of the text has. And John added most of these in, like little escape hatches, like right at the beginning yeah. for, like, oh, actually, you know what? I decided to stay at home anyway. Yeah, yeah, sure. And it's the boring option. And if you pick the boring option, it's boring. Yeah. But that's for the player who isn't yeah. interested in that. And I think that that's a really important design principle. Like with it days, you you know, we don't we don't. Um, mandate to the player what they need to pay attention to or what needs to be important to them. And some of the systems can kind of fade Mm -hmm. and come into the background and foreground depending on, on, on what you enjoy.
3: Sure.
0: Like, for instance, my mother who went around the world selling cursed daggers in markets and okay. reading none of the text, okay. right? Which is, like, a great experience for me. Okay. Thanks, I was like, Mom. "So, Mom. Yeah, like, so what did you like? And she's like, I've got to say, well, I loved being, I cannot sell this cursed dagger. I've been going all over the place. They told me to go to Iran, and I couldn't get to Iran, so now I've ended up in the Bahamas, and I can't sell my damn dagger. And I was like, so, what about this story? And she's like, that, well, that was her story, and, you know, yeah. that's a valid story, too. As a, you know, <laughs> as annoying as it was, yeah. but but I guess you know. Like, so I think I think it's I think it's probably hard for a certain kind of completionist, or if, you know, like so I like I, I often ignore a lot of the trade, and I think there there are really optimization and and op- is there if mm-hmm. you if you if you want it, right. but it's also entirely possible to to complete the journey in eighty days without really being yeah. good at the luggage or selling things yeah. at the right time.
1: I, mean, I thought it was a reasonable – I thought the part, the luggage part was, like, reasonably well-designed. Mm-hmm. It just kind of felt like I really feel like I'd enjoy the game more if I didn't yeah, if it did it. Yeah, if you did. It's sort of an open design question, though, in terms of, like, what are games for? Well, games create emotions. And, like, yeah. um, the emotion of, like, anxiety of, like, your stuff is not packed in time. Right. Like, it absolutely created that, that emotion. Yeah. And, like, as my wife can attest, like – If I don't pack everything completely the night before a flight, I go crazy. Um, So I think this might have
0: been, like, perfectly designed (laughs) to, like, trigger every one of your anxieties.
1: The funny thing is, John actually pointed out to me, he's like, well, you know you can go ahead of time and see when the – you know, like, the point was he actually was – there's a way to like basically do all your packing the night before. And like I never kind <laughs> I don't of even thought know through that. that. Yeah, because you can look ahead and see yeah. when the, the, the train's gonna leave it's the gonna next leave. day and like okay and it, it has three bags, so like yeah. you don't have to go to sleep at eight o'clock, you can take
0: another two hours to like right. I mean, stay up so, like packing. So anyway. kind of on the opposite side of that, there's there are people so the the quickest way to go around the world mm-hmm. is by not ever staying in a hotel. Okay. (laughs) So you literally just keep hitting the dial on the Uh clock and, and you just run out the hours and you sleep on the street and fog hates you. (laughs) Right. Sure. But you actually get around the world quicker. And like, I, you know, and that's something that someone discovered in the forums. Yeah. And, and I think, I think, uh, John and Joe decided to give people an achievement for that. So there's like a no (laughs) hotels achievement incident. And while I'm like, just like, Oh my God, what are you talking about? You slept on this. That makes no story sense whatsoever. But you know, like, exactly, like, if that works for you, if that's, you know, and, and in some ways, like, I don't have to approve of every way a player enjoys playing yeah. the game.
1: Yep. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, is there something, you, looking back now, you feel does not work about days
0: You know, it's the funny one. I think if you, did you ask that question to John? Probably. He probably had a lot of things to say, <laughs> didn't he? Um, yeah i'm sure you did no I don't i don't think there is I think it's one of those weird situations where I think it is exactly the game that we wanted to make i think yeah and I think it does I don't you know I, I there's certainly like god I, I wish I hadn't used so many run-on sentences sure sure you but, know but but no I think I think it.
1: all right well let's let's transition to like the game came out and pretty much i think kind of like instantly people took to it right
0: yeah mm. i mean though though i think i think um you can overestimate how popular it was right at the beginning because we were you know we were being talked about like in the mobile press okay but not uh you know but there was there was a kind of sense of like okay yeah excitement, people were really excited about it and for me personally i thought this was going to be like you know this is my my love child that I right. like this is my passion project that eight people are gonna play and it's yeah. fine but you know they're gonna think it's good and that will be validating. And I think there was that there's a kind of hump of like, okay, yeah, so it was in the mobile press and then it started kinda of dying out and then I actually what really changed things for us was um was Time.
1: Okay.
0: Time magazine making oh, us really? that game of the year. Oh wow. Uh okay. for like twenty fourteen and like so there's a list of ten. Uh-huh. And you know, if you remember at that time Putting a mobile game even on a list <laughs> sure. of top ten, ten games was a was a pretty you know, and I think I think you know they were causing controversy a little bit there. So like, but we were number one, like we we were ahead of like all of the big like big budget AAA games sure. that came out, yeah. and and suddenly there was a kind of like, oh, what is this? What I mean, did you
1: feel like when you? saw I mean, that, that was,
0: time was that was that was a, that was that was pretty amazing. It was like it was it was it was it was crazy a little. It was a bit you know it was it was yeah. I, but you know, I think, but I think it, it didn't affect sales at all. Whereas, okay. like being on the IGN front page okay. for like a minute did. <laughs> but the biggest result of that, I think, it, it wasn't it wasn't that in of itself. But it was seeing in the next few months suddenly like it started being talked about outside in the mobile games okay. press, yeah. and it made that transition into like like rps talked about us yeah. like you know like your gamer talked about yeah. us pc gamer talked about us and and that and 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 it kind of and i think that was that was when it kind of felt like oh right yeah like it's a it's a thing right, right. <laughs> you know
1: okay um, i mean i guess i also want i just kind of want to know like what the what the emotional experience was of going through you know this game whereas like you know the three of you guys three of you working on it mm-hmm. and you know, probably people weren't paying a whole lot of attention to it. You oh no, I was still—I some... had
0: a day job all the way through. Oh really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I was—I was like, I, you know, because I—I had to pay my rent and. um like I yeah so I was like making you know producing games oh like producing Playful Stars yeah. being a digital pro, digital producer like yeah was
1: it still at the BBC or something no, no no
0: no was... no so I would left the BBC by this point so yeah. so this was you know I I was like freelancing for various companies. All right, you left and, and
1: you made the, the uh, Story Nexus game. Yeah, then yeah You yeah. worked for some other companies while yeah. you were doing it. Yeah, so
0: wow. I was I was just freelancing as a digital producer and like wow. so yeah and I remember like the game came out and I went in uh, the next day to to work. And, like, everyone is, like, we're just all having coffee the next morning. And they're, like, hey, like, have you played this game 80 days? It's really great. And I was, like, you guys, i spent the last six months telling you about this game 80 days that yeah. I'm goddamn making. Like, are you serious? Like, are you kidding me right now? And I was, like, I, like yeah, that's yeah, yeah, mine. That's I, I wrote that. And I'd been... You know, and I really thought they had been paying more attention <laughs> to me talking about this, because. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like clearly they hadn't made the connection, and it was like this real thing, and it came, and and um yeah, and I think it was like a couple months later that I I quit, <laughs> uh, uh yeah and uh, like and then made that transition to like, actually being paid enough money as a writer to for that to be my my job, but yeah, wow. um but I remember I, I remember going to GDC. Um, in, like, 2015 GBC, mm-hmm. right? And we were up for a bunch of IGF awards. Um, and me, John and Joe walk, walked in to, to like, Moscone Center where yep. you're about to collect your badges. And there's, like, this big screen mm-hmm. where they they play this looping footage of, of all of the games that have been nominated that year for the IGF. And as we walked in, like, 80 Days came up on that screen, and and I remember looking up at it and being like, the, like yeah, that's the yeah. thing we that's yeah. the we made." <laughs> and I and like they and it was amazing because they were with me. Like yeah. you know we walked in together and and I think my partner Rob was there as well, and we were just and I think we all felt just just felt that sense of like, "Like is this real? <laughs> yeah. Like did we really do this? How, it's on a screen?" Yeah. Um, and I think it was the most surreal surreal week of my. Of my life, I think. And I had just gotten not married the month before. Okay, right. Uh, like, I, ha- I had a commitment ceremony with my partner, yeah. which was, like, incredible and, and, and amazing. But, you know, I mostly had got planned after the game came out. <laughs> and, like, I spent most of that year making 80 days rather than planning and not yeah. Uh And, you know, so that was this incredible kind of life-changing experience. And then that week of GDC was, I think, one of the most surreal... And just Im- immensely wonderful experiences and, and exhausting and, and, and ridiculous um, and kind of, you know, p- perfect in a way that is almost terrifying because it's hard to imagine anything ever living up to it. Sure, You know, and it's it's hard. <laughs> I think there is, you know, it's hard to feel to think about a game feeling that momentous and being received without and and i and i guess i think a huge part of (laughs) a huge part of my i'm i'm focused kind of now on 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 like not the idea that it shouldn't be disappointing if if whatever I, i i do in the future is never as like perfect in a way you know right. what i mean like because it, it just it was just a confluence of so many amazing things and i think it was so unex- unexpected yeah. we just we had no expectations of it so there was no pressure so it all felt like this yeah. amazing you'll focus. never be in
1: that position again yeah it's just that's just the way it is right yeah
0: and it's hard like second album syndrome it's like <laughs> it's and and, and and you know the idea you know and i think it's hard to shed that idea that like the best like the very first game you made is like the best one yeah that's a hot like that's, that's
1: a that's def- difficult.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's not a helpful, it's not a helpful way of thinking about, you know, your career in a way, right. but, um, but it was, it was, it was incredible. And, and, you know, that was, it was great. We were on the booth, uh, you know, on the booths talking to people who had played the game and I was still like, wait, you've played it. <laughs> and, yeah. like, and I kept saying thank you to people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you know, and it was just, <laughs> yeah. And it was just, and you know, and then I got like, and then. You know, I had all sorts of like really weird experiences. Like, I got locked, you know, I end up in an in an elevator with somebody at like three in the morning, and 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 you know, and they're like, "Oh, so what do you do?" And like, I'm talking about it, and I was like, "Oh, I wrote, you know, 80 days. It just came out." And they're like, "Oh my god, you wrote 80 days!" And then told me. Every one of their stories. And we rode this elevator up and down <laughs> for like 20 minutes. And it was just, it was, it was so surreal. But like, they were so, you know, and then I realized that they were going to interview me about it like the next morning. Yeah. And so like there's, me and then, you know, and I missed I miss that interview, obviously. But it was just, it was just this insane experience. But it was like, it was so, you know, I don't know. It was, I guess people kept telling me stories, their stories, um, and it is it kind of indescribable, actually, and very, very, very humbling and also extremely embarrassing because I didn't remember all the stories in that much, in as much detail sure. as, as, the people, as the people who yeah. had played them. I mean, at that time, a lot more than now, um, you know, but but I it was, it was, it's kind of lovely. And I think it, I got, I was very lucky that that was my introduction to the games industry yeah. and to my colleagues and to players. Uh, the, it was, it was so full of joy, you know, truly. Yeah. And it was so, and it was so kind because also I think we, we had the perfect amount of success in that, you know, no one, no one who didn't actually care about it, knew about it yeah. or wanted to talk sure. to me, yep. you know? And So the only people I interacted with were people who, who liked it. We weren't big enough that people would play it just to
1: see what you guys have been doing. Yeah.
0: Or, or to be angry about it or yeah. to, you know, like those.
1: Wasn't as good as 79 days. yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah right exactly right there's you know there's nothing to compare it to as well which kind of helped us too and you know so so it was a very it was a very nice introduction and i think I think it's nice to be in that space of like you know people that care care and mm. and nobody but nobody cares not like it's not a cultural touchstone sure. in a sense you yeah, know right. which brings with it all of these responsibilities or uh you know and and like it's it's not and and i think i think it's also one of those games that more um more game designers and narrative designers have played than like i sure. think it's more prevalent like i, I think I i'll run into more people who have played the game at gdc than i do in my real life sure yeah <laughs> which is also kind of nice in a yeah. in a way
1: yeah 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 no that, that makes sense yeah um, cool um well, uh, do you want to talk a little about what you've done since then?
0: Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, so i I worked um I've worked and I wrote a few guest islands for for Sunless Sea, right. which is Failbetter's mm-hmm. sequel to Full in London, which is yeah. amazing. So I wrote the Isle of Cats mm-hmm. and varchas
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, I think I think that most people probably remember the Isle of Cats because it's if you've played the game, um it's the island. Where you have these bees hmm. that burrow into your brain and steal your memories, okay. and then you distill honey from them, and if you drink the honey, you absorb and experience those people's memories. Okay, and it's super grim. It's super horrible. And then you actually have to sacrifice. If you know, if you pick a particular patron on that, you sacrifice a member of your crew, and like she drinks their memories and like kind of uh, confronts you with that. and... I think it's pretty gruesome and has given people, a few people nightmares, (laughs) which I'm very proud of. Nice. Uh, yeah, and then, and then uh, Varchas, which is kind of in, a city of, of, of light and no shadow, mm-hmm. where outsiders are... If you are touched by Shadow, the whole game, the premise of the game is you're in the Neath, which is a subterranean underworld, mm-hmm. and so you're in darkness. There is there is no sunlight. Okay. But in Varchas, they create artificial light and through like mirrors and, and bioluminescence. And, and so you come in as an outsider. Right. Uh, and I wrote a... I, I wrote a port in Sunless Skies as well, which is their sequel, which is in space, um, called Perdurance, um, which is like a, a, a kind of eternal debutante's court. It's where Queen Victoria holds like important, uh, subjects, children hostage mm-hmm. yep. in kind of an eternal cycle of mm-hmm. a single day played out over and over again. Cause okay. the kind of central premise is, is the control of hours yeah. and time. uh, You know, and I think that's, that's kind of what I did next. God, I've worked on a whole bunch. Like, um, I worked on Horizon Zero Mm -hmm. Dawn. So I was, I was a very small part of that writing team. Um, and, and it was my first kind of experience dipping my toe into AAA, which is a very, very different experience, um, from, from Indie. Um, but was, you know, it was, it was a great team and I had a, I had a great experience doing it. And, and I think it's, um, I think it's you know like it's doing it's doing some really really interesting things i i you know i i, I like i don't, i really respect the the writing team there though, but i was mostly doing like world building and background uh-huh. stuff um yeah, you know it's pretty it's a pretty
1: huge change from yeah how you've been working. yeah so. well
0: i wrote i wrote box for the very first okay. time on horizon <laughs> right. which yeah. i would never done before and, and actually like my the
1: simplest atom of game writing
2: so. right
0: absolutely but you know you know, it I I because coming from the interactive fiction tradition, mm-hmm. um, you know, most people I think most game writers writing today have cut their teeth on writing box mm-hmm. yeah. and, and, and that kind of stuff. Whereas I come at it from like a completely different place. So and it's a, it's a hugely different and and actually I remember I was talking to my partner Rob, who's also a games writer, and and it was getting his advice on writing box because, you know, he he'd worked at Playstation before and he'd, you know, written for the Wonder Book series and mm-hmm. uh and and he was like so the key for writing boxes is it it has to be interesting but not memorable. Okay. Because there's a small pool of box. Yes. And if it's too memorable mm-hmm. then like, that's going to that stick in a player's mind and and, the, and they're going to recognize it when it happens next. So wow, and like and I thought what a, what an insane challenge that yeah. is to write something that's good, that's interesting and also like not too interesting yep, yep. um you know and it, so it's a really weird space to be in and it was a great challenge I have an enormous amount of respect for people to do that but it's hard sure, yeah. <laughs> you know but it was it was kind of it was kind of amazing to get that opportunity so I got to write like I wrote lots of um Aloy's box like the main characters so okay. like anytime she goes into a new biome uh you know and is and is excited by rain or sandstorms or you know and I, I wrote a bunch of stuff about I wrote a bunch of. Um, Content for the the Nora her home tribe as well, yeah. Um, yeah, so like that was that was really, and I think also that was one of the first times I'd ever like, you know, then you play the game and then see like there's oh my god, there's, there's like there's like animation, yeah, you know, sure. like oh my god, there's, there's it's all a of long this other right, yeah. absolutely. But you know, and, and there's a great great advantage to that, it, you know. There's there's so much more to hang your text on, and you're not doing all of the this this work, but you know. But at the same time, it's so it's so much more limiting. You don't get to just you don't get the same free range of imagination because you know you don't you can't just invent something and there's like resourcing all of those very pragmatic issues yep. start start playing in which kind of took me back to right the beginning of my career like you know working as a game producer yeah. like you know uh, but yeah so so that was um, Horizon which was which was great and really interesting and kind of since then I. Uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting loads of stuff, but I, I actually, I, I worked on a lot of games that didn't come out. Like okay. I spent a year working on a few games sure. that t- maybe two, maybe even three that didn't come out. And, and I think, you won't,
1: know. Won't come out or haven't come
0: out? No, won't. Won't, won't come
1: out. Out. Okay. All right. Yeah, that happens, absolutely. that happens a lot in the industry. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think, and I, that's something that was really new to me. Yeah. Like I hadn't realized that you could, you could do like a, and I was like, you know, you could do a year's worth of work yeah. and just it would just disappear yeah. overnight.
1: No one ever finds out about it. Yeah,
0: him, like. and 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 then you you know you show up to the next like GDC and it's like oh what have you been up to and it's like right. well I guess nothing <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. and and it and it feels and it you know and and a, and I think you know there was very much I felt this pressure to to do the next thing after eighty yeah. days and it was extremely frustrating to have have like things almost like disappear underneath me and you know, Yeah, and and I kind of, I wrote a tie-in to what was meant to be, like, a movie and a TV series, and it was going to be a tie-in game, and and then, of course, like, the movie disappeared, which meant that everything everything else else disappeared around it. And so, like, within the span of, like, you know, I was literally plotting out, like, all of this sort of six-episode arc, and had written the first episode, and then, you know, I was, like, in between, like, getting a a feedback email, and, like, oh, and the company is, like, wrapped up, you know, so... yeah. So, which is like, but again, like those are, that's, that's a really normal experience. Yep. And I think as well, like um, as a freelancer, in some ways it's, it's almost easier for me because I get to kind of just move on to yep. the next thing. And I don't, yep. don't expect, uh, to, you know, to be permanently hired. Yeah. Uh, You know, whereas, uh, I mean, I think hearing stories from, from friends of mine who've been at studios and who've been at like studios for like maybe 10 years and yeah. nothing they worked on has yeah, come out. out.
3: Yeah. You
0: know, yep. I, I don't know how... it's That's so hard to maintain your your kind of motive, motivation and, and yeah, that's, kind of... That's
1: one of my priorities for... Like, like ultimately, like, that's the number one reason why I founded my own studio. Right. Is because, I yeah, I worked on stuff that didn't come out and just yeah. disappeared. And, you know, like, at some point you look at your career and you're like, well, I only have so many games in me. And mm-hmm. if, like, five years disappears, like, right. that's a...
0: That's a big chunk. That's
1: a big chunk, right? Absolutely. And, um... And like I just like I guess can't I can't do that anymore. Yeah, you know?
0: and it's heartbreaking if you if you're the sort of person that cares about your your work and invests mm-hmm. in it, you know. And I think I think it's one thing when a project doesn't work or is scrapped or cancelled for reasons that you can understand sure. and that makes sense. But when it's something that is just like it, like this would have been great, <laughs> or it was mismanagement, or like you know, if the reason things that are outside of your control that I guess feel unfair, right? That is when it's frustrating. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Completely. Well, yeah. And so, and I've worked on a bunch of stuff since then. I worked on, um, so coming out, so will be, um, I worked on Absolute Games, new game called Falcon Age. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did a, a, a lot of the narrative design for that and I was lead writer on that and then handed it off to Cass- Cassandra Core, who's who's written... Um, most of the text in the game and um is amazing and it' was also the very first time i'd i'd worked with another brown person in the industry okay, ever <laughs> wow yeah
3: <Okay. laughs>
0: you know which is so uh you know and it, it is a game about like colonialism yep. actually and but it was it was kind of amazing to have that shorthand with somebody mm-hmm. you know you start with with a set of assumptions i didn't have yeah. to go in and convince anyone that, about yeah, everything yeah, yeah absolutely which was great and and you know it's an experience that everyone should have to be able to like work with people that you have a shorthand with. And, and, and it was great. And like, um, Eka is amazing. He runs the studio. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Yeah. So that was, that was, that was an amazing experience and that's coming out soon. So that's coming out for um, VR as well as um, I think as, as well as on, on console. Uh, I wrote, um, one of the characters in Kit Fox's new game, Boyfriend Dungeon, okay. which is like a dungeoneering, yep. like um dungeoneering dating sim, yep. <laughs> which is which is really fun, yep.
2: um
0: you know, and so I I like it, which was a really lovely change for me because so much of the stuff that I'd been working on is like so is like serious, Seriously. so dramatic, yeah. and and so I just I got to and actually Eighty Days is like really not serious <laughs> at all, but I I don't know I think may, maybe it's the way I talk about it, but you know people <laughs> like I you know. I love writing comedy. Like, and some of my favorite parts of it are comedies and manners. You know what? My favorite journey in the game is actually, like, forget all that slavery stuff. This is why people think <laughs> okay. it's not fun. Because I talk about the, the slavery, slavery stuff. Right, right. Whereas it it's the right bit. It. it's Peru. Um, it's Lima to Brisbane. Uh-huh. And, like, there are two women aboard who are fighting for Fogg's attentions. Okay. And who basically make a wager with each other. Yeah. About, like, getting into Fog's pants. <laughs> nice. And you as Passepartout, like, can choose to, like, protect your master's honour uh-huh. or, like, or Just be like him, try and frustrate them uh-huh. or or to, like, work with one or the other or both. Yeah. And, like, and I think if you make a certain series of choices, like, my favourite version of this is, like, you get locked in a pantry aboard uh-huh. the sh- airship uh-huh. for, for a significant moment. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And after you come out, there's just a, like, you were trying to protect your master, but, like, someone shoves you, like, hits you on the head and locks you in this pantry. And then you come out, and, like, if you choose to notice it, fog can, yeah, and fog can be, like, slightly disheveled, and you think, <laughs> is it one of them? And then, like, and, and again, you get to choose. Like, I don't, I don't decide this for you as a writer, and then you can be, like... Or was it both? And there's like <laughs> and, like, and there's just this little moment as like Fogg is like adjusting his, his, ass, his top hat, oh walking off the gang, like come on, Passport, <laughs> what are you dawdling for? And like and you see a glint in like these two women's eyes. Nice. And it's it's great. I got to write a whole comedy of manners. But okay. yeah, so um That's awesome. Yeah, and then an upcoming, like at the moment I'm working on on Sable, mm-hmm. which is uh really exciting made by Shedworks in North London. Uh and it's this like wonderful coming of age, uh, story. Uh, it's very inspired by breath of the wild and okay. Zelda games. Mm, and like, um, Greg and Dan are, are the co-founders of the studio and Greg has an architecture background, mm-hmm. which, which is just amazing. I love it when, when there are people who have like design backgrounds outside of, outside of games. I think that's so healthy and, and, and amazing. And so it's like and it's this incredibly beautiful it's it's so beautiful. Like it's so beautiful that actually I'm not worried about my job of writing because like all I need to do is not make it worse. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't I, I just yeah, exactly. So 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 my job is to kind of like like be spare and like highlight how amazing this is. Like I don't really have to do very much on it at all. But um yeah, so it's 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 um and, and it's it's all about exploration and there's no combat in it at mm-hmm. all. Uh, and so, a lot of it is just about trading and gifting and favors, and 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 you deciding what you want to do with your life, because um, it's all set in a society where everybody is masked, yep. so that we don't have to do facial animations. Nice. And uh, and your mask determines your life, and so you go out on this journey, which is a, a little bit like you know a, a kind of a, a walkabout. Yep. And you get to like almost be an intern in the world, like mm-hmm. try out different things, yep. and and the game ends kind of i mean at the moment the idea is it ends whenever you want it to end when you decide to choose one mask and you can still continue to play the game after that or that is the idea we still it's still early days yet so okay cool yeah
1: all right well i usually like to finish up by asking like why you make games like why is that what you decided to do with your career
0: you know i think i think what I, i think of what i do god this sounds so <laughs> ridiculous in a way, but I think I think what I what I really want to do is tell stories, and and games happen to be the medium that I'm working in at at the moment, mm. and, and they have a certain there are, there are, there's a there are kinds of stories that you can tell in games that you, you can't tell anywhere else, and I'm I'm interested in that, I'm interested in telling those stories, but I'm not I'm also not you know I also I write short stories. You know, I want to write a novel, um, and also, I you know, I don't think games. I don't even think about games as a monolith, really. Like, you know, writing eighty days is a completely different beast to writing Horizon Zero Dawn, sure. um, to to writing uh, Banished Saga, to writing a dating sim, to yep. writing, you know. So, so I think, you know, that I I like I wanted to tell stories. I think, and and. And as and as long as I can keep doing that with games, and as long as there are stories that I feel that are interesting to tell,
3: mm-hmm.
0: I think I think that that makes sense for me. But it's um, I don't you know I, I think it's a healthy I think it's you know I think it's a healthy attitude to have to not see games as this completely separate siloed off thing, but as part of a continuum of expression and art and media, yeah. you know, and, and not as separate, but as, as part of a whole cultural conversation. Right. And, and that's very much how I see it. I think. Cool. Yeah. All right. Excellent.
4: Well... <laughs>
0: wait, wait, one more question. Come on. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: So um, in your uh, podcast, which is the first one I ever mm-hmm. Sit at, and Mm -hmm. you're amazing for some reason. Bizarre, don't ask me why. I feel like so proud of you. (gasps) (laughs) Thank you. That that aside, you talked about colonialization, slavery, racism, sexism. Mm -hmm. And there's a bit of rage or anger or some outrage against history Mm -hmm. and how today we identify with women or Mm -hmm. uh, people of color. Yes. Now, if we put all of that as a humanity challenge, like the challenges that we face as human beings, Mm -hmm. you know, our own representation, which is Mm -hmm. poorly done throughout history. You personally in the game industry, whether you experienced it or not, or we'd like to share it or not, or what do you think is happening in the game industry from a minority perspective?
0: Yeah, so I mean, okay, so I'll tell you, I guess there aren't that you know, there are no grandmothers. You look around there, you know, if I look for other women of color in the games industry, you know, there's there's few of us. If I look at people of color, as I was at a party at GDC and there were three of us who were brown and we've took, there's a picture, right? <laughs> like we took a picture cause it was like, we're like, we need to document this. Um, uh, You know, it's, it's kind of, I think, I think what's difficult about it is it's hard when you look above you and there's nobody like you who had, who has gone through what you are going through to, to be able to give you some, some guidance to be able to to kind of take you aside and go, yeah, it sucks. I think the thing that has been hardest for me, being a minority in the industry, is that you. it is so easy for the industry to, and I don't think it's advertent, I think it's inadvertent, but force you to become a talking head rather than a designer or a maker. Mm-hmm. And I felt that. I mean, there re- there is a reason why... Uh, You know, there was no next big thing after 80 days and partly, okay, yes, there were projects that went away, but also, you know, I did a lot of talks, I did a lot of panels, and all of those were really great and useful for my career, but nobody ever stopped me and said, hey, okay, now you've done enough, now you need to get some work done, and... You know, that's a, it's it's an enormous commitment going and giving a talk. You think, okay, it's just an hour, but it's all of the planning beforehand, you know, and, and it interrupts you. And, you know, I did a lot of travel. It interrupts your work schedule and, and fundamentally, like, because you are unusual in the industry and there is a push to appear more diverse, people want you to talk. People want you to appear at their event. People want you to, to add some color to, to their panels people want you to add some color to their conferences and gosh if you're a woman too you get two for one you know and gosh if you're bisexual that's even better right um but like you know and and I think that's that's a significant problem I think there came a point where where I just had to sit back and realize like wait do I want to be talking about and also I don't actually like I know that i made like the game that I made is about colonialism and all of these things but also so much of what I have to say is about craft I mean like it was super nice today I actually got to talk about like craft and design which you know you have to carve out the spaces for yourself otherwise you're just going to end up in the nicest possible way being pushed into into being a representative and I think some of that is inevitable when there's there's not that many of you and and I I'm deeply conscious uh, that whether I like it or not like there will be women of color and people of color looking up to me, and and you know, I, you know, I'm visible to them, and I think that's valuable and important. But but I also you know, but I think that how do you retain people in this industry? It's you know, you retain people through work, and if I'm too busy, you know, being a spokesperson mm-hmm. to do work, yeah. that's not use. That's not useful. And there will come a point where you know they. Where I'm not useful to them, either. and I think that's the thing—is it's seeing uh, there are there are there are ways in which you will be structurally exploited. I guess that is nobody's fault right. specifically, but it's kind of all of our faults, you know. Yeah. And 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 if you don't have somebody who's ahead of you in the industry to tell you, hey, this is going to happen to you. Like, watch out for this. Get your get your work done um you know and and you and you're flattered it's very flattering to be asked to speak and it's great and it's a wonderful opportunity and I think and I think there are probably also lots of people who look at me and think and I and you know I've had this said to me by colleagues that well no wonder you got all that press because like I mean you're a brown woman like you know that's you know and, and and this idea that that the advantages of being a minority outweigh the disadvantages is a very is a
4: very backwards idea
0: <laughs> and and it is unreal really
4: well, I'm so sorry that, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is, this is mm-hmm. the validation you get for hard work <laughs> right. by them telling you, oh, it's your skin color Claire. and your gender. Yeah. Yeah. It's really not your work. Yeah. It's, it's, but I it, do have just one yeah. follow-up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, in your games, you can't fix slavery. You yeah. can't fix sexism. And at some point you mm-hmm. said that, you know what? You're not going to be able to help her. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to fix slavery here. Yeah. Uh, how can we improve in the game industry? Mm-hmm. I, I get it. Don't yeah. We get hired. Yeah. But there's a lot of mansplaining and you're not being taken serious. And you make us look better if you're on that stage right now. Yes. So yeah. how do we fix it? Or how do we improve it?
0: Yeah. I mean, so I think the conversation about, like, how do we get a more diverse workforce, which everyone knows is the goal. And the the answer isn't, like, you know, we need to recruit more because what are we recruiting people into? I'm, I'm really sick of... Of saying to like young women and minorities, like come to the games industry, it's great, and y- you will be destroyed. Like we are gonna, we're gonna take you apart. Um, you know, you're gonna have no job security. Um, you're gonna be attacked online. You know, you're gonna get death threats and rape threats if you stick your head above the parapet. Like, is this is it fair to ask people to come in? I feel like it's a better question to ask. Why don't we retain women? Because it's not as though women haven't been part of the games industry all the way through. It's not as though people of color haven't existed. I, you know, and I think we have to kind of address those, address the problems and kind of, and, and, uh, you know, recruiting people and then chewing through them and watching them disappear in a couple of years and going, oh, well, I guess we'll just recruit some more is, is kind of not the solution. I think, you know, but, but honestly, I, I don't, I, I truly, I, I, you know, I think it's something that you have to fix and you have to. If to accept it's a problem and you have to specifically try and address it, but you know you, I don't, I honestly don't understand why you wouldn't. It makes no sense to me because I think the broader the range of perspectives that you have, the better your games are going to be. That you know, it just it just makes sense. Like it's so. So I think there's no reason not to do it. There is no, like, it isn't as though even it was, it is going to be, it will, it will, it makes financial sense, even from a purely capitalistic perspective, if we ignore all morality and, and, and kind of rationality, right? It's, it's the rational choice. Um, you know, and I think, I, I think the change, I think it's a I I you know, I think the change is happening. I think there is, but, but I think, I think there are a lot of, there are a lot of, you know, I think unions are one of the ways in which we do that. I mean, I think there are protections. I think, look, I think we, look at, we have to look at some of the reasons. Like, why, why do women fall out of the workforce in the games industry? It's because crunch is prevalent. And it's because women are, as societies, you know, in society, primary caregivers quite often. And, like, if you need to pick up your kids or be there at home, like, you're going to fall out of the industry in your 30s if you want to have a family. And, you know, so, but we can fix the – fixing crunch, that also has loads of other great effects. Like fixing crunch is also good for everybody in the industry. But, you know, we need to fix crunch before we start recruiting women. Because what's the point in recruiting women if we then say, yeah, and then you, you, you don't get to have a home life. You don't get to, you know, like, you know. So I think there's so many there's so many really sensible things that we can do. Uh, and I think it's it's not really, it's like kind of maybe also focusing on those structural issues rather than just sheerly like the the problem of trying to get the numbers in i don't think that's the problem if that makes sense yeah that
1: was a question (laughs) all right Right.
0: i think yeah uh, great we've
1: cut we've podcasted it off
0: (laughs) i know (laughs) thank you you uh, so much (laughs)